Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan. This week we discuss, you'll get your podcast when you fix this damn door! Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan, a Marvel podcast where we try to figure out just who and what Toby is doing in this cinematic multiverse. My name is Tyler Borland, and with me this week is Caleb S. Bunn. The joke doesn't work if you do it twice, because he's not going to be back here next week. It's a rule of three. You can't just keep it at two. So now we have to have him back next week. All I'm saying is that with this appearance, I am the guest who has come on the most it's if you true. don't count green rooms. That's it's true. true. Well, that actually, true. though, if we do count green rooms, you have been on the most, too, because you were on the green room where you talked about Infinity Train and you were on the news episode that week. So you oh, would true. still be on the most episodes if you count those, because that would keep you at five. Yeah, five. That's a lot. That means you never gain rid of me. Any more <laughs> words of a uh, waitress. Yeah. So. We already had you back last week, Mr. Caleb. Welcome back again. Uh, so Thank you. you were on for Black Widow, but we talked about it last week. You listened to last week's episode. But we do have a question for you from Sarah Knopf, our last guest, about Spider-Man as our icebreaker. Her question was, who is the one character that has not been adapted that you want to see in the Spider-Man movies? It can be a character that is in Spider-Verse who has not appeared in live action. You can read the question that way if you so choose. Sarah's answer yes. was Black Cat. So Yes. So Sarah said that she thought she knew what my answer was, and that's because I have a brand. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm at, she's actually wrong because she, I assume, thought that I was going to pick Spider Gwen, who is one of my favorite superheroes. Um but I actually don't think that live action would suit Spider-Gwen that well. I would much rather see a Spider-Gwen animated movie um, spinning off of Spider-Verse. So I'm going to I have a pick, but it's up to y'all guy y'all to to tell me if it counts because he has been in a movie, but it has not been a Spider-Man movie. And that's Ben Urich. Ooh, I know who that is. He's great. I say he yeah. counts. He counts because I don't count the Netflix films as the, the Netflix shows as the MCU. Personally, I'll, I'll I would bring back that actor personally. He's so good. Anyway, sorry. Go on. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who don't know, Ben Urich is an investigative reporter for the Daily Bugle. Mm. Um, he's appeared in both uh, both ad- live action adaptations of da- Daredevil. He was really good on the first season of the show. He was my favorite part of that season. Yeah, he's he's really solid, um, and he just. He always is a very, like, um, honorable character uh, who's contrasted nicely with J. Jonah as, like, J. Jonah just wants the wants the clickbait kind of headlines, but Ben Yurik is, like, committed to um, actual investigation. And so it pairs very nicely with Spider-Man as kind of, like, an unknown mentor. Um, and I really, I really like him in the ultimate run of Spider-Man comics. So I think it'd be cool to see him in the movies. Nice. Cool. Uh, Tyler, do you have your answer? Or do you want me to go? I've, I've got my answer. I was just going to add, I do really need to, I started to watch the first season of Daredevil and I really need to watch, need to watch them, uh, because I've heard that they're really, they're really good. They're well, well put together. Um, 
I want, uh, looking at Spider-Man's rugs gallery, um, I want Chameleon to come along. And I think there's a good possibility. I mean, the with what Sony with characters that Sony is introducing, Chameleon is the half brother of uh, of Craven the Hunter. So uh, he in the comics, he inspires Craven to hunt Spider-Man. Maybe it's a Chameleon comes along and he uh, Craven's put into jail or something and he he wants to I don't know I just think that he's someone that can really he can be he could really kind of kind of like Joker in the Dark Knight where he's not necessarily the one that's always pulling the trigger but he's the one influencing everyone else he's influencing all the all the uh, pieces to move around the board you know, and yeah. execute his plan. And I I think that we could see something like, you know, like that, something more of a detective thriller. And I think that's a side of Spider-Man that we've not really seen with Tom Holland Spider-Man. Um, cast so. Evan Peters. Cast Evan Peters as Chameleon. Because Aaron Taylor Johnson is going to be Craven. Let's just that's make why. this even more confusing. <laughs> If Aaron Taylor Johnson's already gonna be Craven. We might as well lean into it. We might. <laughs> if they are pulling all of the Spider-Man properties back to the SSU, formerly known as Spunk, that means Agatha's got to go too. That <laughs> she's married to Ralph Boner. I I guess so. But are you saying <laughs> Ralph Ralph Boner is Chameleon? Yeah, he's an actor, and Did maybe he sense? was acting. He was acting the whole time. But yeah, he was impersonating virtually anybody. So yeah, here's what we do. Here's what we do. So Ralph Boner is actually Chameleon, but then it turns out that it's actually Mystique pretending to be Chameleon, and then it turns out that it's a life model decoy of Mystique who is pretending to be Chameleon, pretending to be Ralph Boner. Can, can I add? Can I add another layer onto that? The life, model deco- the life model decoy is actually Ultron, who's been hiding out all this time. <laughs> so it's just another. Oh, I'll just great. say that if the Boners, as I hope the Agatha Harkness spinoff show is titled, just the Boners uh, is called, uh, if they're pulled back to the SSU, I think seeing Agatha with Venom would be a good pairing for Venom. They could be a nice little threesome. I, I ship it. A great thruffle. Venom, Eddie, and yeah, a good thruffle. And Agatha. Sorry, Ralph. Bye. You you can go hang out with your brother. Um, so my choice. The reason I asked Sarah is because I knew immediately who I wanted. It's the character who I always wanted to be the Spider-Man villain in the Raimi Spider-Man movie since Spider-Man One when I had that Spider-Man encyclopedia. I thought it'd be so cool. And I want to clarify two things. One, this character is in Spider-Verse, and two. This character has actually appeared in the Holland movies, but not as his supervillain. Yeah, yeah. Is it Scorpion? Yes, it's Scorpion. Mm. I would love to see Scorpion in live, live action, and particularly rewatching this Spider-Man movie, which we'll get into, obviously, in a bit. The idea of Sam Raimi directing a movie with Scorpion as the bad guy with these characters would have been so cool. Because the thing about Scorpion is, if I remember right, from, from my Spider-Man encyclopedia, is that J.J.J. gets him his suit. 
Yeah. Which would bring, bring J.K. Simmons into the story a way bigger way than he ever was before in those Sam, these Sam Raimi movies. And I think the idea of Raimi directing his action with the scorpion tail would be so good to quote this movie we're about to talk about. Um, but also, it's just even without Raimi, I think the idea, I think the little bit of scorpion action we get in Spider-Verse is good, but I think seeing him on live action would be really cool. And I don't think it's hard to translate him to live action. No, it's especially like seeing with uh, what they do with CGI now and like he's I, in homecoming yeah the character's in homecoming yeah, the character's Wait. there the setup the setup is there um also i really like the idea of jjj creating the news where you know where yeah. he's he's pushing uh these villains out into the world to go meddle around and create these news stories i like that i do yeah i like the prospect of that in story form <laughs> so yeah that's always what i've i've wanted um and maybe maybe if um we get a spider-man 4 with holland we can get that with the jjj presumably taking a bigger role uh in the mcu after no way home or ssu wherever whatever wherever holland man shows up i really this is inter- to me this is interesting in a way that i would like this to happen not because of like I think it'll be cool regardless of who he goes up against. You could even put him in a Venom movie. I'd be excited. The reason I worry that I'll never get this, at least in this continuity, is, well, they'll have to recast because they like getting their big names for villains. And it's being played by a very popular TV actor. But I don't think he'd get to be the main villain, the actor they have currently playing him, Michael Mando. But But if if they committed to JJ JJJ being the villain, then... They could just sell it on J.K. Simmons. And I think the version, although we only see him briefly, that we get in the MCU seems like the kind of person who's unhinged enough to do this. Because I'm not sure I'd want to see the Raimi version do it, because he, even though he dislikes Spider-Man, he does seem a little... Like, he seems wholesome. He tries to protect Peter from Goblin. I think if you can adapt Venom... To the Raimi verse, I think you can easily put Scorpion in there. Just have it be like a guy that JJJ thinks he can control, and then he can't. He doesn't even want to kill Spider Man. He just wants to embarrass Spider Man. You know, I think he fits perfectly fine, uh, and it would give J.K. Simmons a bigger role in those movies. But I also think, as I said, I'd be okay with Scorpion popping up anywhere as long as it's directed by someone who can do cool action with that tail. I think it's very cool. Yeah, I've always thought it was cool. Um. Anyway, so what is the question you wanted to give our next guest? It has to be about Spider-Man. Yeah, so one of the uh, best Spider-Man comics to have come out recently is a Spider-Man comic called Life Story, which basically asks the question, what would Peter's life be like if he aged in real time? So it starts in the 60s and ends in the 2020s when he's like 70. Um, But that has been making me think of Spider-Man in the different decades. So if your next guest had to reboot Spider-Man and they had to set it in a decade other than 2000s onward, when would they set it? What decade would it be? So it has to be, I want to be clear. We can't just say Spider-Man 2099, right? That's off limits. You're asking prior decades, right? Yeah. Not the future. Okay. Okay, cool. Although 2099 would be cool. Yeah. I, I said that actually, I think last week or last time we did one of these questions, for my um Spider Verse spinoff that I would want, twenty ninety nine. But yeah, yeah, that's a good that is a All good right. question. 
That's a good question. Oh, wait, what's your answer? What's your answer to it? My answer is actually um, said it before Spider-Man's introduction. So Spider-Man was introduced in the 60s. I want to see what Spider-Man in the 50s would look like. I think that'd be interesting. Cool. Yeah, I think so, too. I, this is a hard one. This is what I have to. This is what I'll have to think on because I don't know where I'd put him necessarily. Because I think the temptation is immediately put him in war, and I actually think Spider-Man would be inter- more interesting. Well, out, I mean, but think about like Caleb, what you were saying about Spider-Man in the fifties, like that's Cold War era. You know, like just think of like you get, you get spies, and I mean, kind of. Captain America's uh, Winter Soldier-esque, you know, spy thriller-esque. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of, yeah. Yeah, that would be it'd be something I'd be, I'd be really interested in. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. That is a good question. We will ask our guests next week about it. But, Tyler. Yeah. Send us away. Send us away? Okay. Thanks for listening to... This <laughs> you knew what I meant. <laughs> oh, I knew. Yeah. All right. So from this point on, we will discuss the recent 2007 release of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3 and possible spoilers for future productions. We do not claim future to Spider-Man have knowledge. 3. Future Spider-Man yes, future 3. Spider-Man 3 uh, yes. We do not claim to have knowledge of said future spoilers, but will gladly take full credit if such come true. We won't address any leaks, even though I know Tyler wants to. Uh, but for speculations aligned, it is purely dinks. So let's discuss Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. Danny, I should have been cast as Mario in the new Mario film. Do you know why? Because you hate Mondays? Because I want to address all the leaks. Get it? Yeah. Okay, so Spider-Man 3. We <laughs> good, should, good on you for moving on. <laughs> we should explain our first encounter with this film. Danny, do you want to start? Yeah, sure I can. Uh, uh, check in on Spider-Dan. He is now... How old am I when this movie came out? I'm now 11 years old. And I'm so excited for this movie. It gets an ad in the Nickelodeon magazine months before release when they're talking about Stuff to be excited about in 2007. Because I don't know if you guys remember uh, May 2007 at the movies. Very uh, interesting month. A uh, lot of third movies coming out and all of them disappointing critically. Spider-Man 3 was first, then Shrek the Turd. And yes, it is. That, that's the worst of the three. So that's why I'm calling there it four. that. There are four. Well, no, no, no. The source of the three prequels of this month the and three, then pirates okay. of the caribbean 3 oh, okay i yeah. i rank them pirates 3 is the best then spider-man uh, yeah. 3 and then shrek the third i think that's a fair ranking but yeah anyway so we wanted to see this at the new imax that just opened nearby it was always planned to be our first movie in that imax however the manager of this imax was i, I, don't, I don't know what he was doing with his life he he seems kind of Looking back and I'm like, you're, you're a little too nice for your own good, in a sense. And that uh, when the theater opened, I got to go the previous December to tour the projection booth and write about it for my school newspaper. This is when I'm in fifth grade. So, you know, it's not like a real school newspaper. And obviously, since we're there with my family, we're also going to go see Night at the Museum afterwards. And the guy goes, well, just stay for the IMAX showing of it. And we're like, what? That's so cool. Uh, but... 
I also only wrote like a paragraph about his movie shooter in the school newspaper. So, but also like, I guess he's just a nice person to a dad who's clearly carting around three kids that are just wanting to see that at the museum. The other two do. Anyway, so it was the second movie I ever saw in IMAX is my point. Night to Museum was the first. Uh, but yeah, we saw it in IMAX opening. Oh, either opening or second weekend. I can't remember which one. Um, we were so hyped for it. Black Suit Spider-Man Venom. So cool. My Spider-Man Encyclopedia. I remember still thinking it was good, but also also knowing immediately it was the worst of the three, in my opinion. Uh, but I still was like, I want to see it again. Venom was cool. And Sandman was cool. It was just not as good as the other two. But yeah, that's my experience. I talked more about seeing that at the museum than I, Spider-Man 3. Read into that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tyler, what about you? Our guest is going to go last. My first encounter with Spider-Man 3 was whenever it came out on DVD home release. I rented it uh, from, I think, a Blockbuster. Yes, that dates me. Um, but I rented it from a Blockbuster. I mean, the movie came out in 2007. It doesn't date you at all. It's yeah, just when the movie right. came out. Yeah, I know. But, but just that sentence, though, I mean... I rented yeah. it on like I didn't stream it from whatever, you know, so yeah. uh, back in the good old days. But uh, when we had late fees and whatnot. But uh, yeah, and so I remember scratched and the disc, were, the disc were always scratched. Oh, and my the, disc for this movie was. Wait, wait, wait. Before you continue, I'm sorry. My disc was <laughs> scratched when I watched this. I checked it out for the library my disc was scratched and it was the birth of Sandman scene so what I did was I paused the movie loaded up the clip on YouTube yep. watched it on my phone and then just skipped the scene <laughs> off the TV uh, like, no, this is, I was like this is like one of the scenes everyone says is the best scene in the movie I'm not skipping in the middle of it I'm just gonna watch it, this on my phone and then I'll watch yeah. the rest but yeah anyway sorry uh, so what, what was your th- go on sorry yeah just my first encounter with it is I remember I was like oh okay yeah that's that's cool and i i don't know i i was like oh it had venom and for the longest time until tom hardy came along that's what i thought venom was um and uh and i was kind of like yeah like i I want venom in a in a superhero film but uh i remember um let's see x-men X-Men 3 had just come out the year prior, I believe. The Last Stand had just come out the year prior. Um, And I remember thinking that, like, I'm like, oh, Spider-Man's going along and X-Men's going along. Wouldn't it be so cool if these films would all, like, if these heroes would all meet up and they're actually all, because in the comics they're all in the same universe, so maybe, like, what if the films would do that? And then after seeing Spider-Man 3, I was like, yeah, there's no way that they're gonna do that. And, I mean, look look where we are now and with the MCU. The next year, the yeah, next yeah, year next, Iron Man comes out. Next year Iron um, Man, yeah. You do know the thing where um, Jackman almost cameoed in Spider-Man 1, right? I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. Yeah. Hugh Jackman almost showed up as Wolverine just in a scene. I don't know what the context would have been, but they wanted to do it, and I think it just fell fruits of rights. I, I've heard two things. I heard one, he was just going to walk by and, like, say mm. something to Peter. Then the other one I've heard, the other one I've heard, and I'm not sure if this was as serious, was I heard he was going to walk by wearing, like, a traditional Wolverine mask, like, as a street 
performer. Mm. That would be cool. Yeah. That seems very Sam Raimi. I like that. That, yeah. that would have been cool. There's also a deleted one of the deleted scenes for uh, X2 is the final scene where they're all in the White House um, mm-hmm. and like the lightning flashes and they're all there. They snuck a guy in a Spider-Man suit into that. And it's a fun little scene where everyone's like, what? How'd you get here? <laughs> That's funny. That's I, cool. I, I'll have to watch it next time I see that. Um, but uh, Tyler, were you done? Yeah. 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 I think I was I was done. It wasn't my favorite of the of the uh, of the trilogy. But I remember that I like at the time I was in seventh or eighth grade. I was 13 or 14. So I was just like. Cool superheroes, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Uh, what about you, Caleb? All right. So I was ten years old, and I went on a trip to Indianapolis with my father. Um, on that trip, I count that as my exposure to like blockbuster cinema because before that, I had seen a lot of old live-action Disney movies, like um, That Darn Cat, and I had seen a Herbie. lot of. Pixar movies. Yeah, and Herbie, stuff like that. Apple Dumpling Gang. I love Herbie. Ooh, On this, yeah. Before this trip, the only two superhero movies I had seen were Larry Boy and the 66 Batman movie. So, on this good trip... Movie. <laughs> wait, good movie. Are you talking Larry Boy or Batman, Danny? Because I'm going to go Whoa. with the Larry Boy side oh. here. <laughs> what? Larry Boy stand. let's Ooh, go. You're going to cause... The entire episode just went off the trail. Now we're going to have to talk about Batman 66. <laughs> Sorry, go on, <laughs> but so I go on this trip and on this trip we watch um, just because each night we sit down and we turn on whatever's on TV. So on this trip, I am introduced to the two towers, Return of the King, Richard Donner's Superman and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man one. At the same time, Spider-Man three is showing in theaters and they have a Happy Meal deal with Burger King. We stop mm. by Burger King one day. So and a big I kid's get, meal. Yeah, so I have to be that guy. Me. I have to be that guy. <laughs> and I get a little toy Spider-Man, which when you dip it into ice, turns into the black suit version. So, oh, oh like, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, Ooh, I want that toy. <laughs> so I remember sitting down, watching the second half of Spider-Man, going down to the pool and playing there, going back up and watching the first half because they were showing out and repeat on whatever channel yeah. this was. And like asking my dad questions about Spider-Man because he's a huge Spider-Man fan. Um, and while I was doing this playing with my new little Spider-Man action figure. So Spider-Man three and Spider-Man one are very connected in my mind. I can't mm. disconnect them. Um, and of in a couple you know months later, I watched Spider-Man three when it came out on DVD. Um, and then eventually I watched Spider-Man two not long after that. So they're all kind of connected. But though part of the reason why Spider-Man three is such a comfort watch for me is because it takes me back to those that like trip. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. You were introduced to a ton of heavy hitters on that yeah. trip. Yeah. Meanwhile, I didn't watch uh, the two towers of return of the king till like a few months ago. <laughs> they all have holes. <laughs> but enough about uh, Shia LaBeouf. Uh, <laughs> that actually is one of my holes. I've never seen it. I've never seen the movie. I've read the book. Uh, I don't remember if I read the book. No, I read the book and I saw the movie. Yeah. Do you guys know there's a sequel to the book? It's called Small Steps. 
It's good. Really? Spider-Man 3. <laughs> yeah, there's a sequel to Holes. It's I had no idea there was... Steps, you fall into the holes. <laughs> well, Stanley isn't in the sequel to Holes. It's like about one of the other kids who was at the camp uh, after they get out and the camp gets oh, shut okay. down. I thought it was like a retelling, but from a different perspective. No, it's a sequel. Um, it's actually much darker, if I remember. Um, it's more written for like high schoolers than middle it's schoolers. It's like, what if we got the claymation Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but we see it from... Uh, Donner or Blitzen's side, or like no, it's but it's not a return. What it's if a we sequel. see it from the reindeers' side of the ones that we're I, picking? I'm, I'm closing the book right now. We leave the reindeer at home. <laughs> we, that. we need to move on to Spider-Man <laughs> yes. Three. All right, so uh, let's move on into general thoughts. Mr. Tyler, go. Yes. So this I, movie, I'm a hobbit today. Mr. I'm saying Mr. to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this movie makes so many jumps between plot points. It feels separate from its predecessors, uh, almost as if it were a sequel made 10 years after the prior film by a different director, even though it was only it only released three years after Spider-Man 2. Uh, returning characters, save for JJJ and the butler, who both feel like they're in a different movie. Um, they all seem to be contrivances of their past movie selves, while new characters are full-on cringe or poorly written. Um, why does Venom sound like a pterodactyl? Multiple times, he's going, ah! I, d- I, I was waiting for, for him to say yummy, and I didn't get that. Um, at least the music was still good. So good. Yeah, um, weirdly, I thought that this was a much better film than I remembered. Granted, I still don't think it's great. Uh, there was points when I was watching this, I was like debating, like, is this a three out of five movie? That I was like, no, I'm not going to go full apologist for Spider-Man 3 this watch. But I am upping it from my 1.5 grade to a 2.5 out of 5 grade. Uh, the same grade I gave Dune and Last Night in Soho. So, you know, it's as good as those films. Uh, <laughs> but anyway... Uh, <laughs> I think it really helps here that Raimi's kinetic action is not gone at all from here. I think every action scene in this movie, like, totally rips. It's always so fun to watch. It's like, I immediately sat up and was like, oh, man, this is... I think it's honestly the best action in the trilogy. Um, Mm. Just the amount... There's so much of it, and it always is creative. And the different villains does allow for different fights, with the exception, really, of Venom. I don't think Venom's fights are that interesting, but... What makes him interesting is not Venom, it's that he's generally fight. Harry's in that fight, too, like, as a helper, you know? So it's like, that's interesting. Um, I also think that MJ is written much better here than she was in Spider-Man 2. Uh, I, I think she's, like, I, I'm excited to talk about her in this movie compared to, honestly, any other time we've talked about her in these movies. Uh, however, I do think this film has issues. Uh, it has a lot of bizarre structural problems, which I will also get into timestamps I checked when I was watching this. Because I, I, some of those, there's some interesting moments in this movie that come way later than you think, and also way sooner than you think, and it doesn't really make much sense. I also think the themes are very messy. All this said, though, there are several moments where it feels like Raimi is actively trying to say, This is my movie, F you, Avi Arad. And, like, those are, like, some of the funniest moments in this trilogy. Like, it generally feels like he's like, no, you can't take this movie away from me. This is going to be some of the most Sam Raimi moments you're ever going to get. And I think it's, like, a glorious troll job. 
And I, I'm really happy Sam Raimi did it, even if it has caused this movie to be looked back on negatively um, in some areas, because it's mostly the emo Peter stuff, which really just feels like, a, oh, you're going to make me put Venom in my movie? Well, this is my version of Venom. Deal with it. And I, I really like that. <laughs> like, I, I like the audacity of him being like, yeah, you can't, you can't take this from me still. <laughs> but yeah, that's my general thoughts of Spider-Man 3. There's a lot to dive into here, though, in my opinion. This is a good movie. It's not a great movie. I'm not going to go like full. This is the best Spider-Man movie. It is maybe my favorite Spider-Man movie. Um, but I think this is a good movie that gets overshadowed by the other two films, which people like a lot. Um, but I think that carries through a lot of the same um, energy from the first two films and it completes character arcs for Harry and MJ and Peter, which I really appreciate. And something that I wish more superhero films would take lessons from is how to set up like long-term villains and long-term relationships, which is something that mm. I think modern superhero movies don't always do that well. Um, I like Sandman a lot. I think he's great. Venom's not amazing, but we'll talk about him Um I have complicated thoughts. I think the thing that's interesting about Venom is I don't think Ven. I th- well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah, um, and I think there's some of the best humor in any of these movies. Uh, I ever the lines are so quotable, and I know you shouldn't judge a movie just based on its memes, but I think that says something <laughs> about like the memorability of movies. Pretty much every line that emo Peter has is a meme. <laughs> dig on this I'm gonna put some dirt in your eye your <laughs> damn door <laughs> get, get religion, religion. <laughs> double it like <laughs> but there are moments like that in the first film especially there are so many quotable lines in that first film and I feel like this doubles down on that it doubles the money um, but yeah so this is a big comfort watch for me I always enjoy going back to it it's not a perfect movie there's a lot of cohesion problems here um, I think it's poorly paced um, and I don't think that the editing is as strong in the other two and I think you can see Sam Raimi is getting a little bit tired of this probably because he was pressured to do things like put Venom into it um, but I'm sure a lot of that also comes from having to work with Toby for three movies but yeah I like this movie all right Let's begin digging in. Um, do you guys have a place you want to start, or should I just bring up uh, starting? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean. I wanted to uh, to touch on uh, you. You texted me when you were starting to watch the film. Uh, you said that uh, you were like, "This is the last time that I'll hear the San- the Elfman." Uh, score playing over you know the intro credits those logos and those logos yeah, always and I and I will say like that it, it's a I did not realize how much of an appreciation for this trilogy's Spider-Man theme that I that I have um and yeah it's I don't know it's it's a darker one than it's definitely moodier than what we have with Tom Holland's light and airy um, theme. If when we hopefully get that more uh, more serious uh, tone trilogy of more adult 
Tom Holland Spider-Man. Um, I hope that we get something that's a lot more like similar to this Elfman score than than the light and airy light and airy ones. Actually, we, we got to mention this because you're correct that the, these are Elfman's themes, but this is not Elfman's score. We got to mention not? that Elfman Elfman left this film. Uh, there was a uh, I can't remember the exact details. I'm not going to read into it now, but I remember um, at the time people or not at the time, but like I think during the Amazing Spider-Man 2, because Amazing Spider-Man 2 also replaces its composer with Amazing Spider-Man. We'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, but people were like, well, Spider-Man 3 had Elfman leave because um, there was creative differences on 2. Um, mm. So Christopher Young actually did the score of this. Christopher Young is a never very good composer. He did... Um, he's done a lot of horror movies. And he did Drag Me to Hell with um, Raimi after this. He also wrote... One uh, or co-wrote the train score for the second movie, so he was yeah. he had some experience working with Elfman, so he made a natural successor to him. Oh, that's that's a uh, very much like uh, with uh, Junkie XL and Hans Zimmer in mm-hmm. with the uh, with the Snyder cut use Junkie XL as yeah as that for for listeners who may not who may not know. Uh, Hans Zimmer did the score for Man of Steel, and then for Batman vs Superman, it was Hans Zimmer with Junkie XL, and then for not Joss Whedon's uh, Justice League, but Zack Snyder's Justice League, um, it was Junkie XL who actually uses his full name um, in that one, which is this escaping me right now. But, but Tom yeah. Holkenberg, yes, Tom, Tom Holkenberg. yes, yes, thank you. Um, what I want to also say about the score here, and I'll mention it later too, is that we've been talking about the main theme, which is phenomenal. It's a great theme, but I think also the love theme in these movies is something that's always under talked about because, of course, everyone remembers the actual Spider-Man theme because it always plays over the opening credits. Mm-hmm. But like the love theme between MJ and Peter is really, it's really nice. Uh, and honestly, if that plays ever, like if Kirsten Dunst has a cameo in No Way Home, which is possible, but I don't think will happen personally because I know she doesn't like the Holland movies. I've, um, I've she's been on the it, record for saying that. I've heard that. it rumored that we're supposed to get her and um, uh, Gwen Stacy, Emma, so, Emma Stone. Yeah, I, but I don't think that makes any that, sense. I'm confused no, it, how that would it work. Doesn't, uh, it doesn't make any. It doesn't make sense. And that was also like an early, early rumor when we were first hearing about Toby and uh, Andrew being in No Way Home. So, they got yeah. Natalie Portman so, back for Love and Thunder, so that's true. They can write yeah. big enough checks. That's true. That is. Mm, that's very true. A, I, I think I, I want to say there's a big difference there. Being told, "Hey, you're going to be the lead of this movie that Taika Waititi is directing," is different than, "Hey, Kirsten Dunst, do you want to show up in the middle of your Oscar campaign for this other movie to like have everyone ask you about Spider Man?" I think true. it's a, yeah, and Kirsten Dunst is a bit more of a. I think she. I think Natalie Portman's always flirted with doing blockbusters. I think Kirsten Dunst has outright avoided them post Spider Man. Uh, Emma Stone maybe, but I don't see how story wise it would make sense. Uh, that's that's <laughs> the thing there right. to me is like yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me story wise. Um, we'll get Bryce Dallas Howard to come back. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty great, honestly. I would laugh at that so hard. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so the score is great. Uh, I want to get 
into the structural things and some timestamps I noticed in this movie. Oh boy. Which is that Flint Marco, the retcon, doesn't come until an hour into the movie. Which shocked me because that is oh that's about half the runtime of the movie until we get the motivation that I don't think is actually needed, but it's treated as the huge emotion thing. And then okay, let me re- let me restart this a little bit. Is that the symbiote lands in like the first ten minutes? Oh my gosh! And when it lands, it is so it's so bad. It's so bad. It's People just, complain about the rat in Endgame. <laughs> it's just it's just fiery ball out of the sky. Just happens to land. Doesn't make any sound. And no one else is in the park except for Peter Parker and MJ. <laughs> Sorry, I I did when when that when I saw that I was like, oh, we've got the. We've got the, uh, you know, them laying out on the web like it's a hammock. And I'm like, oh, that's I think that's pulled from that's either pulled from the comics or the comics after this movie have uh, done that. I've I've seen it somewhere, but uh, it's it it's like, oh, look, it's like this iconic imagery and then fireball just out of the sky. And yeah, anyways. Yeah. So lands in the first 10 minutes, hitches the ride with Peter. Doesn't do anything for another hour of movie, which is probably about a month in movie time. A month or two weeks in movie time. It's a long amount of time in movie time. The internal schedule of this movie doesn't make sense. It couldn't yeah. possibly be a month because Mary Jane could not keep the fact that she was fired hidden for a month. But also, it makes sense that you would think it's a month. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to chase that, but I want to finish this timestamp breakdown. Uh, so... An hour into it is when we finally get the Flip Marco reveal that he killed Uncle Ben. Immediately following that, the black suit finally appears. And Peter immediately goes to hunt down Flint Marco. And then the next scene after that is him talking to Aunt May about how he killed or how Spider-Man killed the guy. It's all in rapid succession, which is so weird because the first hour of this movie is jumping from plot point to plot line to plot line. That in this portion of the movie, we get the main motivation for Peter not liking the actual main villain of the movie to him killing, air quotes, the villain of the movie within 10 minutes of the, getting that motivation. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sam doesn't appear again till the third act after the black suit's been taken care of. So you're like, wait, I'm supposed to still care. About, I'm on Spider-Man to care of this guy. <laughs> he he also uh, he also talks about Spider-Man with Aunt May. He talks about him as if he's someone that she doesn't know. Like he's like, yeah, because Sp- in two, it's Spider- very like like very like wink wink. I know yeah, Spider-Man. But in this <laughs> one, he's just like he's just like Spider-Man killed him. And when he says it, he like looks at her like. Do you approve? Do you approve of that? And I don't like Peter comes off. It's, very yeah, much, it's so weird because he's psychotic in this, she, in this one at times. She knew he, like the thing is, is like if she knew it was Peter. She'd be like, Peter, right? And she was like, but I thought he didn't do that. It's like, like you didn't take the trash out and you said you were going to. Yeah. Well, part of that, I guess you could say, is that she doesn't believe Peter. If I want to know, prize it. Aunt May in this movie, and she's kind of like this in all of the movies, but especially this one, she is. She does act like a person. She acts like a, a machine Peter turns on for, like, common sense. 
And yeah. Rosemary yeah. Harris does an amazing I job. I disagree with on it. two. I disagree on two, but we, we already did a whole podcast on that. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean specifically uh, for this movie. Like in, in Oh, okay, but you yeah. said she always is. Sorry, my bad. No, no, no. She she has more humanization. I'd say that she never exactly her and Uncle Ben feel very idealized in a way that they don't feel real, but that fits with the tone. Now, I, I want to chase what you said about Peter not noticing uh, for a month. Uh, Mary Jane, you're like, you don't think that's realistic. I actually think it's quite realistic with the way he's framed in this film. Uh, you say, uh, Tyler, I believe, and if you didn't say it yet, you have it in the notes for later, that you don't like Peter in this movie. I actually, I mean, I don't like him, but I'm not supposed to like him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he is yeah. supposed to be not a good person in this movie. And I totally buy that he's into himself, even before she gets fired. Because, like, whenever he brings up something, she he's just like, yeah, well, Spider-Man's got to do this. Like, you know, oh, Mary Jane, I'm Spider-Man, you know, wink, wink. Uh, and I, I like it, you know? It seems to me like a natural evolution of his character in the sense that, like, at this point, it was like, everything is going great for him. His girlfriend left his fiance, her fiance, for him, and he gets to be Spider Man and make time to go see her plays. Things are looking up. The only thing that's going bad is Harry, but even then, he's <laughs> funniest moment of the movie. The tempted best moment to me is the smile Toby gets after he's told he probably won't remember anything <laughs> <Yeah>. ever. <laughs> and, and, then, and then later in the movie, they they replay that moment. I think it's when when. Uh, Harry's like all of his memories are remembering coming back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and when he's remembering everything, and I'm just like, Peter looks like a psycho. He's he's just like, oh, he won't remember anything. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, what were you, what were you saying? Well, no, it's just like everything's going good for Peter. So yeah. to me, and like it is very much like the constant thing in this movie where he's like. Oh, MJ, you'll bounce back. Remember, people don't like Spider-Man as if those things are related at all. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I'd buy that he wouldn't ask for a month. He's very self-absorbed in and this. I, and I and I totally I totally can buy that he's self-absorbed. However, we don't the the story does not give us a counter to that. It like Mary Jane has enough she's got a ton of uh, stress and conflict going on in her life, trying to figure her life out that she, she's trying to lean on Peter and Peter's just like, yeah, we got Spider-Man. He's cool. I'm Spider-Man. And just, he's ignoring her, which I understand, you know, that's the fraying of their relationship. Um, however, we as the audience don't necessarily have that like moral, Per, like the person who was going to stand there and hold the other characters accountable, like what Aunt May should have been for us in this film. And instead, uh, very much like I, I agree with what you had said, Caleb, is that she's much more like a robot that Peter turns on, you know, whenever he needs uh, whenever he needs advice. And um, and I think I think if her character, if Aunt May was a lot more active in this in this plot just holding peter accountable and just those nice little reminders of like remember spider-man had you know like with great power comes great responsibility mm -hmm. like no one is holding peter account accountable to that and that's the last two films were about 
you know we never get we never get resolution to him not like not being attuned enough to what's going on in Mary Jane's life and we never get resolution for what he does at the jazz club yeah and i was going to was going to say also we don't get for a film that this is what i was actually referring to with messy themes this is a film that is very clearly about forgiveness and revenge like that is like what like that's what Aunt May's big speech in this movie is about, right? Like, it is that. Like, revenge is like a poison, blah, blah, blah. We need to forgive people or, or ask for forgiveness. And it's very telling to me that, to me, this movie doesn't co- come together. And that at the end, the big moment for Flint Marco is Peter forgiving him. But he never apologizes to Harry for deforming him. He shows up at his house like, you need to help me save MJ. And then Harry looks at him. He's like, look what you did to me. And she's like, well, this is bigger than both of us. No, apologize. Like you, you didn't want to do that. Like you did not go there to deform him, like to attack him. Really? You know that, that was my thing there is like, and I know one someone could say, and sure that, that Harry was in the wrong too to manipulate MJ that way. However, the movie is about forgiveness and Spider-Man is the hero. Harry isn't. He needs to. He needs to be the bigger person here for the theme to work. He needs to offer an apology that he wants to be forgiven for before he can forgive Flint Marco. If we want this throw line to actually work, but it doesn't. Never happens. He never apologizes to Harry. Harry just shows up because the butler tells him to. Um. So that's what I mean by like these themes are messy because as he also as he said he doesn't ever apologize to MJ for the stuff he does at the bar. He doesn't apologize. Like he doesn't take responsibility at the end. And that to me is why the film feels weak. That is what keeps it from a three out of five to me where I can totally defend it as a good movie rather than me. Like this is still a bad movie that have a lot of good parts. Um, if that thorough line like was there and we got the payoff emotionally. Yeah, totally. Like still weakest film of the three. But yeah, I'd say it's good then personally. <laughs> Can we rewind a bit and talk about the beginning of this movie? Yeah, um, sure. There's a lot. <laughs> I've, I, I, I will say that, like, I do feel that the beginning was the. I don't. It was relative. It was. It's a strong. It's a strong beginning, and it may be the strongest point of the of the film. Because it. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. What were you gonna say? Um, so the beginning of the movie, Peter's having his good day montage. We, although that's always undercut because something comes in the way, like when Stacy shows him up in class or something like that. Um, and then we get the scene where he goes to the play and it has this great crane shot from him in the first row up to Harry looking down at him from the balcony. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love it. Great shot. And then their great conversation uh, outside the theater. I forget what Harry's line is, but it's something like we need to talk is like, we can talk when you resurrect my father or something super cheesy like that. I love it. Um, and then not long after, <laughs> not long after that, we get their first fight and it fight is, is so good. It is so much fun. Um, but there's just so much like things move so quickly in this movie. And, I really enjoy that. Now, mm. that doesn't always help the movie because there is so much going on and you don't always necessarily have time to 
explore these ideas because we're moving on to the next stuff. But at least for that first um, first act, I love that it is all stuff, no fluff. Yeah. Yeah. But I... I'd say that to me, I don't know, we're we're, we're not going to totally break down the X, but to me, I, my takeaway watch this is like, this is very weird pacing to me. Because uh, to me, the the first act ends, I felt like it ended when we got the Flip Marco exposition, personally. Because uh, that was like right after MJ and Peter broke. I'm like, oh, okay, like, that's the end of act one, really. And then we get a kind of short second act that I would say goes until Peter removes the suit, but I think Peter removes the suit around an hour and 30 into it. So it's like, to me, the first act is longer than anything else because it's setting up so much stuff. I'm sure this isn't reflected in actual runtime, but I feel like the first and second act feel very, um, very even. And then the third act is very short, but I think, which I'm not going to defend, it's a very rushed third act. But I feel like the black suit stuff is well paced. Well, I actually like the the black suit stuff is probably the best stretch in the movie because, as I referred to it earlier, this is the that's where Sam Raimi goes. This is my movie. Yeah, <laughs> like you, you can't this, take Tommy. this from me. You, you, you can't take this from me. You asked for Venom. I'm going to give you my my black suit. This is my version of it. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to put dirt in your eye, Avi. <laughs> I, I will say that uh, when, yeah, when the third act comes along, for me, it was when all of a sudden we'd snap to a news, this breaking news of, oh, look, New York City is under attack. And just this could be the end of Spider-Man. <laughs> this could be the end of Spider-Man. And I'm like, all of these Good people. Line. All of these people are, they are, like, delivering this breaking news like they're at a sports event. Like, it's a boxing match, but it's, it like, the one lady that's like, it's really hard to watch. It, like, disheart, I don't know exactly what she says, but she's like, it's disheartening. I feel like all the... The webs of this city are being torn apart with every punch from the Sandman. Like, can we, can we, can we uh, have a give a quick moment of silence to the wonderful, uh, the wonderful trailer lines that this movie had? Particularly, I just remembered. Of course, this could be the end of Spider-Man, but I also just remembered. You knew this was coming, Pete. Thing in every single trailer for this movie. No one else does. You knew this was coming. Time. You knew this was, co- this was okay. coming, Danny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's coming back. It. I I will say that I did I did look up the spider spider Danny um spider Danny Phantom spider trailers. Danny Phantom trailers and I found I found all three and sent Good. them sent them to Danny and I, the that third one was rough. it was rough it was rough but uh. But well, yeah. that's what happens when you have so many new characters you have to put into your edit. Right. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, biggest he's in this movie in the opening credits to me was seeing James Cromwell's name. I was like, what? He's in this? Yeah. <laughs> he plays uh, George Stacy, um, mm. a.k.a. Oh, no, I have to retcon the first movie. Here's a little speech. Okay, bye. <laughs> Should we talk about? Should we start talking about Venom now? 
<laughs> well, uh, can we talk about either Eddie or the black suit first before he get the venom? Yeah, I'm wrapping that all up in. Okay, venom. okay. Uh, I gotta say, rewatching this now, um, that's a pretty obvious Photoshop that he turned in. It was 2007. <laughs> yeah. Even then, I, I don't think things stopped looking weird. <laughs> in I mean, like, I think it still sucks. He turned it. He turned it in, and it did make it to print. So that is on the editor who was JJJ for who not has a clear bias. <laughs> yeah. See, so. He. I gotta uh, say, Bill Nunn's character, who I always forget the name of, uh, definitely should have caught it. <laughs> While we're mentioning Bill Nunn and Elizabeth Banks and uh, Sam Raimi's brother, all three of those, yeah, they are all, I think, go underrated. Um, mm, yeah, yeah, obviously, JK is amazing, but I think all three of them are really fun in all their scenes. I love the... I. I care about your about your well-being and JJJ's like shut up without even looking like I, I love there is like with each scene that's set in the bugle there's just an atmosphere that's already there that these four four actors create yeah I, I will say one thing I've always disliked about this movie maybe this is controversial I don't like the JJJ bit with him like having to watch his blood pressure. Oh, I love I, that. I, just, I, 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 yeah. great. I really don't. I've never <laughs> found it funny. Uh, I find the buzzer funny, but I just don't find it funny to see. I don't know. It just never worked for me. Maybe it's like one of those things where you're a kid, you're excited to see him be angry and you go in. And it's like, actually has to be calm. You're like, what? Come on. That's no fun. I don't like the JJ uh, part that comes at the end. I think that's a little bit forced in. But oh, I thought that was fun. I, when, I was okay when with that. He's at the final battle, he's at the construction extra yeah. with Sam Raimi's <laughs> <Yeah>. daughter. <laughs> oh, was yeah. that his daughter? That's mm-hmm. that's cool. It's a fun cameo. Now, now I even like it more. It's oh, it's a cute cameo for the daughter. That's okay. I'll allow it. Um. But okay, Eddie. Eddie. Yeah, Eddie. Eddie. You should have been in this movie, Eddie. You are a loser. I gotta say, isn't it? Isn't it a line in the first Venom like Michelle Williams goes like, we need to talk about Venom. <laughs> when you said we need to talk about Venom, that's what you think of it. <laughs> Eddie is... Okay, cards on the table here. I don't like Venom as a character, and part of the reason I'm probably forgiving about this movie in ways that other people aren't is because when people are like, this is a bad interpretation of Venom, I'm like, yes, but Venom doesn't deserve good interpretations. <laughs> Eddie is such like a scumbag with no redeeming qualities. He feels like how Aunt May feels like a robot there to give good advice. He feels like a robot there to do the worst possible thing in any situation. He's a virus. <laughs> or he's yeah. malware. He's malware at least, yeah. He's evil clippy. He's just a cookie evil. in your computer selling your information, your browsing history to everyone else. He's Google. He's he just <laughs> runs out of nowhere, and you're like, "Who is this guy?" 
<laughs> yeah, that's the thing that I, I just remember. Like, that's what's so frustrating. Like, he comes in and he goes like, "Staff jobs." Well. I'm like, "No, Peter's been there for years." Right? <laughs> How dare like, you? See, there's this girl that I, which I want to get get to. He says, "There's this girl that I uh, that I'm wanting to uh, make my wife," and th- so he acts like they've been dating, and then later on. When the key of the city is being given to Spider-Man, he's taking pictures of Gwen Stacy and she's just kind of like, we had coffee and he and like, it's it's just what? What? Like, he makes no sense. No, no, he doesn't. And And then you get those great um, prosthetic teeth when he becomes Venom. Oh, my gosh. I I got to thinking, I was like, why did like did Topher did they hand Topher Grace these like plastic vampire teeth that you would wear at Halloween and they were just like hey you're gonna be Venom don't worry we're gonna spray we're gonna spray this black uh, silly string all over your body and then we're gonna have these vampire teeth in your mouth and that's what you're gonna do this though does come back to what I was saying in our Spider-Man 2 episode which is that Venom air I'm repeating my own quote from last time I don't actually fully agree with this anymore but Venom in this movie is what happens if you take a 90s character and try to transplant him in the 60s comics I think you're on to something there where Venom was introduced in Battle World um which was this big event comic which obviously yeah. <laughs> they couldn't do Battle World in the third Spider-Man movie so they had to come up with a way of introducing the Venom symbiote and so they do this thing where he falls from space, which makes absolutely no sense. And stays there for 50 minutes. Yeah. Just hanging out with Peter for 50 minutes. But this is what's confused me so much is that we like we know from uh, production photos that on the first film, um, Sam Raimi was looking at the ultimate run of comics, which was going on around this time, written by Brian Michael Bendis. And in that they do Venom is a lab um uh, creation actually by Peter's father and Eddie Brock's father. And that's how the two have the connection to it. I don't think it totally mm. works, but like you have Dr. Connors right there. Like all the other villains have been from science experiments. Why do it from space when you could just make him from a lab? Yeah. Especially when you consider to me, I was going to be like, nah, but like Venom's full speed alien, but also it's like, even if you want to say that, like, organic webbing already exists in this, you know, interpretation. So you right. can throw out whatever you want. That said, I actually, I, I think it coming from space adds to me feeling like this is just being transplanted into the, the 60s-ish comic. Uh, like, the, the tone of Raimi is to just be like, oh, yeah, this thing just landed from space. <laughs> and now it's, it's tagging Spider-Man, I guess. But they, they, even, they even had this the space they had the space connection set up in Spider-Man 2 with man with John Jameson he never is brought up here which is amazing that's because he was going to come back in Spider-Man 5 and be Man-Wolf or whatever his name is I wanted Man-Wolf I want Man-Wolf and Scorpion would have been the best movie ever I still, as I, and I'll say this next week, because next week will be the real time we get into this. Uh, still feel really bad for Dylan Baker constantly being told, yeah, you'll be the villain in the next one. He is so fun in his two scenes here. Mm-hmm. Looks very aggressive. <laughs> the you didn't get any of, of the, you didn't of let the, any of this of on like you. the symbiote, yeah. like, amoeba just, like, bouncing away. The other ones always cracks me up. <laughs> They're good cookies. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's how you know Peter's a psychopath, is he asks for nuts in his cookies. What a crazy (laughs) man. Yeah, the, um, so the black suit. Let's talk about black suit Spidey. I think it's great. (laughs) I honestly think it's a highlight of this film uh, on rewatch, because as I said, it's where Raimi goes full out, like, this is my movie, you can't tell me what to do. It's so cheesy, but it's knowingly so. Um, and it's still brutal. Like, I remember the first time I saw Spider-Man, like, push the Sandman's head into that moving train. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, ooh. And yeah. just Spider-Man flat out k- what he thinks is killing him when he bursts the pipe. Like, that is that is some intense stuff for Peter Parker to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the next thing he's bragging about it, too. I forgot that you'll get this rant when you fix this damn door. It's actually the first appearance of emo Peter in the film. <laughs> well, he walks out of the subway and he he scoots his hair back. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And then his first, his only line of dialogue before he like reverts back to normal Peter is, "You'll get the rent when you fix, fix the damn, damn door." <laughs> and yeah, I think I I like I like he. It's obviously I don't like what Peter does. But I love the dance scene. I, I wish that Sam Raimi would direct a musical. Like, it's so ridiculous. And also what's ridiculous is, the thing that's amazing about to me, it's not the dancing. It's the fact that the audience gets into it and Gwen's like initially like, ooh, it's like, what? They're at a jazz, like they're at a, like a low-key jazz club. Right. Why is everyone into this? I want to see, I want to see the movies or the deleted scenes where Peter is learning this song and just practicing because he's very good at piano. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, but it's, it's pretty like, again, that's what I mean. Like that's full Raimi. That's like Raimi being like. You wanted this, this is what you get. <laughs> like, it, like, it works because it's exactly what Peter would think is cool. And yeah. you can see in the infamous scene of him walking down the street, he's like finger snapping at all the ladies and all of them look disgusted. Yeah. Yes. I also always love like, it's obviously the meme, uh, but like the door opening back up like automatically. <laughs> I also love how much um, Elizabeth Banks is digging him in the yeah in that scene where like he sits down at Peter's desk and you can just see her in the background like smiling ear to ear. Mm-hmm. I also I like um what was I gonna say I like I like this whole sequence it's it's fun uh it's stupid but it's joyously stupid um yeah it's a good scene. It's a great scene. It's possibly the best scene in the trail. No, it's not, not going to go that far. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, I don't know what I was going to say. There was something else about the black scene scene I want to see, but I don't, I don't care. Um, and then he gets Eddie fired. Actually, it's before the sequence, but he gets Eddie fired. And it's cool. It's a good scene. It's such and a cathartic uh, scene, too. Like, yeah. because we're slowly losing sympathy for Peter, but then he's showing up this guy who's somehow even worse than him still. Right. And then we get Venom, which is introduced to us by, let's be clear, the best trailer line in this movie 
is God, I only ask you for one thing just to kill <laughs> Peter Parker. Parker. And that, that's badass. I'm sorry, that's badass. It's so cool for the villain to say. <laughs> me and my editor, or er, er, me and y'all's editor, Joe, my roommate, uh, when we were uh, in high school, we made this dumb parody of a spy movie but we had that line in there because we love <laughs> we love it so much <laughs> wait what's their name of your spy Peter Parker <laughs> no it's just the, the main guy goes into the uh into a church and he's he kneels down and he goes god help me to kill whatever the character we had in the movie uh it's so cool and then we get venom which is whatever i don't want to end the third act yet because that's where most of venom stuff is because we we have 10 minutes left on our unofficial timer and i want we haven't got to what is frankly no pun intended the best character in this movie in my opinion which is the conclusion of harry which does get derailed for a significant amount of the runtime <laughs> Oh, with the amnesia thing. Even then, I think that adds to it's like, oh yeah, this is what Peter has been missing. And then when it comes back, it's even more tragic. And I do like in that sequence the part where he reveals he has the goblin formula to Harry uh, to Peter by accident, with by grabbing the basketball. He's like, wow, look at my reflexes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very again very Raimi moment, and it, it works for where we're at in this. Uh, and then his plan that he puts into effect is like really like soap opera evil, but I it's good. Like it makes sense he would do it. It is probably honestly to me like the most relatably evil thing someone does in any of these movies where you're like, oh, how dare he? That's so bad. But also then you get the yeah, I'm sorry to tell you about this, Peter, but I'm dating here. Oops. <laughs> I think. I think it's a it's a very Norman Osborn reminiscent uh, for for him to not necessarily with him being, you know, sitting with Peter and being like, I am the man, you know, I am the other guy, uh, but him going to MJ and he's just like, yeah, no, you're I know this is going to tear you apart, but we're going to hurt well, just a little just like Norman Osborn said, we're going to hurt him in the heart. But uh, but yeah, I I. Very well done, Raimi, for remembering your characters from, you know, past films. The wink. And the wink is incredible. In. Yeah. When Peter's walking away, he turns around to, to recry for people who might not remember from watching the movie. Um, Peter turns around and catches uh, Harry looking back and Harry gives him the most dramatic wink I think there's even like a twinkle sound effect when he winks and then you see like Peter's arms like he's about to run and like go punch him but then like he just disappears <laughs> and then Peter just looks so confused when he disappears well and, and there's even the guy at the bar he was super confused because he he turned around yeah. and he was like there was a guy who's literally just here and I imagine that Harry, like, what we're supposed to think is that he just moved that fast because he's got the goblin serum in him. Yeah. But no, I think Harry just got up and ran out of... He just asked for his coffee. I think he's he under the table. He just, I think he just hit <laughs> under the table. <laughs> that's what the guy was looking back. But I'm just like, this guy just asked for a refill on his coffee, was in the middle of eating his pie, and then he so turns, good. he winks, and then he... 
as the train as the train as the bus is going by he runs out of the of the uh diner and or runs and hides in the bathroom or something and that's why the guy is at the bar is like turn around he's like what is going on like like, he's like, yeah. who's gonna pay for this? Like, who's, who's gonna pay, who's for, gonna this? pay for this? And yeah, I, uh, the good pie <laughs> quote. The good pie quote is great. I want that to be TikTok's next trend. Once good soup has run its course, I yeah. want good pie. So good. That's actually I remembered what I was gonna say during the black suit montage, and it's related to this thing too. Is that I I really appreciate that most of like the most iconic memes of this movie. Our memes from 2007 were inexplicably the most popular gift is still the bootleg Cameron gift. <laughs> like for the dancing, for the so good, they're all like the gifts you always see around the internet are still the bootlegs yeah. from the camp. From, and I like that. I, it has a lot of charm to those memes that they've been around for so long. <laughs> the other thing I like about Harry is, well, in their second fight, um, I think is probably the best fight scene in the movie. It's just so brutal, and I like that it's close yeah. combat. Um, and neither of them are pulling punches, which is really cool. But I also like when they team up at the end. I think they're doing a lot of fun stuff. Their banter's really fun. I think that is really, to me, the payoff from all three movies is to get that reveal. Like, Watching it at home, like today, after watching the last two in the last two weeks, when that happened, I literally like got chills. I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah!" And it's so cool to see them fight back to back. Um, and it reminds me. This is what I always talk about. And I don't think I actually brought it up in our Spider-Man episode. Is um, and maybe I did. If not, I'm gonna bring it up again. When I was a kid, everyone always, you know, talked about the Spider-Man Two video game being the best video movie video game ever. Mm-hmm. I like Spider-Man One more. Because when you beat the game, you get a cheat code that lets you play as Green Goblin. It's not a skin. It's a full new combat system where you have to ration your pumpkin bombs. You have to use the glider, all that stuff. And you're playing as Harry in the story, like trying to track down where his father went using a separate suit, a separate suit he found at Oscorp. Uh, but anyway, that's what this ending reminded me of. It's like, ah, it's the two guys I played heads in the Spider-Man video game teaming up. Like, it's the payoff we waited so long for, and it's very satisfying. Even if Peter doesn't forgive, ask for forgiveness from Harry, it's still satisfying to see the two of them work together as friends again. Since we're towards the, like, since we're in the third act, the resolution, if you want to call it that, of Peter and Mary Jane's uh, relationship in this feels very resolution. Much, yeah. Air quotes. Resolution, air quotes, <laughs> which is basically like he just he walks into that jazz club and he's like, hey, and she's like, hey, and then they walk away together. It feels very much like uh, the Vince Vaughn, uh, Jennifer Aniston movie, The Breakup, which was the like longest, however, two hours, hour and a half of my life. But like it just feel it. There's no closure. There's no closure to it. I, and I'm I've actually like, always liked the ending. Do you? I always like the last scene. It, it's, yeah, it's left very open. That's why I, I like it. And well, the thing is, like, it would have been a lot film, more. Stra- yeah. Exactly. Like if there was a fourth film. Yeah, I think it would have been good because I think it would have been about them picking to get putting back together their relationship. I think that's why they don't resolve it is because like that we can save for the fourth movie. Well, and and that's what I think like if Toby is in I'm pretty sure he's in No Way Home. If he's in No Way Home, 
we've got to have that re- resolution for that character. We've got, I mean, let's be real. He's got to explain. Well, well, if Sony wants to make all these Spider-Man spinoff movies off of these characters, just pay Toby and Kirsten Dunst billions of dollars. Have them come back and give me a Mayday movie directed by Raimi when yeah. he's done with Doctor Strange. That'd be pretty like, cool. I don't think we'll get it, um, but I would be so down for it. I think everyone, I think we've gotten to the point that most people agree that these movies are good. Maybe not three, but you know, like Spider-Man 1 and 2 have like beaten their backlash. Because there was backlash to them around the time the Andrew Garfield movies came out. But they've beaten their backlash. Now, everyone pretty much universally agrees these movies are good. Sam Raimi is great. I would like to see that would be my that would be the best possible thing to come out of No Way Home to me has been like, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll give them money to make a give Raimi and every one of these. And then that would be when I get this closure in a sense and seeing them be parents. I don't know. This is me writing fan fiction right now in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to say before we wrap up, because according to my timer, we have one and a half minutes left. We didn't talk about the. uh air quotes main villain of this movie much at all uh flint marco there's a there's a little short film in here about flint marco and if you cut that out it's a great movie and when you put (laughs) it in it's just it's there too um but i i do really enjoy what we do get from him i like thomas hayden church he's an underrated actor and he's used well here yeah yeah i i think there there's some good good stuff with this character but he I don't know with with the way this trilogy with the way that the first two movies in this trilogy set up the third one with the conflict between Harry and Peter. We don't really need a Sandman necessarily. Um, how you know, we, we don't necessarily need that. We don't necessarily need uh, Venom, Ven- you know, Venom in it. Um, I I think you have enough if it's just. Harry and Peter, you know, going back and forth. Um, I don't think so. I think it, you do need the part portion of the film where Harry is like where they have to team up where it's just Harry and it's against, not Goblin. I think you yeah. need to have sequences where it's just Harry and it's not Goblin and those sequences you need a villain. Uh, gotcha. I personally think that Salmon is a better choice for it than Venom, than Venom yeah. because Sam Raimi obviously actually wants Salmon in the movie compared to yeah. Venom shouldn't be in this movie, but Black Suit should, especially because the conflict like Peter will never go as hard at Harry as he would if he did not have the black suit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if the ending is like, Sandman. I think that's really why Venom is here, is because Raimi couldn't figure out a way to get his redemption for both these characters that he wanted to both redeem them uh, for Harry and for and he's like, well, then I'll just put Venom in this movie, you know? And I think that's ultimately why he's here, so that way there is a villain villain at the end. But, yeah. I don't know, is there anything else we want to say about this, or should we move on? Um, I don't know if we necessarily needed the Flint Marco retcon then, like, we could have had Sam. Uh, we we can, we can talk about, beat, don't worry, you know what we, I mean? But we can, but yeah, I want to talk about that, but I have it in my awards for something, and we can talk oh, about yeah, it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, 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 okay. We can just well, we can pin that for now. Don't yeah. worry, don't worry. Uh, but yeah, uh, predictions for No Way Home. We we keep 
I feel like me and kids Tyler are running out of predictions right. for this I, movie. I do think like after <laughs> after seeing after seeing this film, I do think that uh Toby like Toby Spidey if like if anything from this from Spider-Man 3 will come in, it's him he's going to say something to uh Tom along the lines of I messed up. I lost sight of what Uncle Ben told me, and that is great. With great power comes great responsibility. I lost, and then I'll start lost, crying in the theater. Right, Danny oh, starts God. crying. Um, I lost, he, and he's just going to admit, like I lost sight of that, and I lost all, you know, the great thing, like the great things. I lost a friend. I lost the love of my life, and um. And I think like he'll admit that, you know, say that and like I messed up is basically what he's going to say. And that's basically going to be the summarizing of Spider-Man 3. Um, but uh, I'm really interested in seeing like Peter, don't you ever go dancing in the street? Don't ever don't ever <laughs> go dancing in the street. Um, if you see a black suit run, yes, Tom Hardy pops yes. up. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um I, I'm really interested in I know like the rumors are that Sandman will be part of the villains in in No Way Home. But I like given his redemption arc in this film, I don't know why he would necessarily I could see him being come, tricked into it. Come back. I could see yeah. him being tricked into it because I I'm just uh, really I'm like I'm like I he's he's he was a guy that was in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know? I can see him being tricked into fighting the other two. I'll be interested to see if they can find a way to pit him against Toby that would make sense to me. If he is the same Flint Marco, you know? Gotcha. Well, maybe, yeah. that's, maybe that's how he would turn, like they would defeat him, is he would, once he sees Toby, he kind of is able to talk him down. <clears throat> Toby's able to talk him down. True. Uh... I think it'd be very interesting. I get what you're saying. I think it'd be interesting if they're really going to use Toby and have his arc be tied in directly into Spider-Man three. Um, now, instead of giving my prediction, I have the final, t- this will be the final time we pass this question to our guests and to Tyler and to myself, because we're not going to talk about Toby again until hopefully he's in no way home is, do you think Toby will be D H to match this movie? I don't think I still hope not. <laughs> I don't think he's going to take off the mask. Um, I don't think he will be in it much, if at all. And I think that out of the two of them, you'll get Garfield in it a lot more because mm. he's more recent. He's easier to work with and he likes the character more. I think you will get Toby at the end coming in to help wrap things up. And he, if he does take off his mask, then yes, they will de-age him. Because Marvel is... They really love their de-aging. I, I think, it's, I think it's, this is going to be a movie that's going to be interesting when it comes out. Because we have so many people, like, their predictions on record. They're going to be like, eat crow if it's not. Um, oh, I'm always wrong I, about my predictions. Because so. the thing to me is, is I still don't understand how you can fit Andrew Garfield into this movie. In a way, um, and we'll get into that more obviously over the next two weeks. Um, excuse me, next three weeks because next week's Eternals. Um, but I don't. I think if you're going to spend the money to get Toby, 
because he costs way more than Andrew Garfield will. They're going to use him even for a cameo. Like, as I've said before, this is Tobey Maguire's last big chance to get a huge payday for a movie. Because once he returns to Spider-Man once, there's not going to be the demand to do it again. And I, my opinion is once they pay him that paycheck, they're like, well, we have him. So we're going to use him for as much as we can. I will say from like a marketing perspective, if you're looking at it and you're looking at the two previous Spider-Men, I think audiences would be most satisfied if they just got the villains from the Raimi movies and they didn't get Toby. Like, there'd be disappointment. But if they had to choose, and I think if you look at the Garfield movies, it's the opposite. People would be disappointed if you just got the villains from that. They'd want to see Garfield. So I think Mm. from a purely mathematical perspective... To me... My, my my response is, and I granted, I'm obviously not everyone. I don't need Garfield in this movie. I would just give me Toby, give me the Raimi villains. We can forget the Garfield movies happened outside of like a quick, oh hi, I'm Andrew Garfield. There are a moment. lot of there are a lot of amazing fans out there. That's whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, no, no, I'm just saying now, now I know for a fact that uh, whenever we cover No Way Home, ever in that episode proper or like in our end of year review, because by that point, I'm sure someone will have timed it. We're going to look at who was in the movie longer because I'm very curious because, you know, someone will go in and time it. So there's always someone who does that. And I would hope that no, like because I am the age that I am, I would hope that Toby's in it more. I just don't think that's yeah. what they would do. I think, though, the thing is with the age is that like. There is more nostalgia inherently for Toby because of how older he is. Whereas people who had Andrew, you immediately moved on to Tom Holland. You know, there's been a longer wait for Toby. I don't know. This might be me speaking from my bias as a Toby fan. Yeah, I, I <laughs> it's tough for me to say because I am I am trying to represent younger people than me who grew up with Garfield. Um, but I think there, there are a lot of people out there who would be very excited to see Garfield return because Garfield did not get a satisfying ending. I mean, but we just agreed that Toby didn't either. <laughs> yes, but he got more of an ending than Garfield did. Garfield was left on a cliffhanger. As I always say, uh, I assume he dies. I've always same, assumed Garfield dies. He gets impaled by Rhino. That's, that's all yeah, we're going to get from him in the MCU. It's just the most <laughs> bloody scene the MCU has ever had. It's going to cut to Rhino impaling Garfield. That's how Rhino will be introduced. It'll be like, we got to get a new Spider-Man, Doctor Strange here. And he tries to pull out Andrew Garfield, but... He actually pulls in the rhino with his corpse. <laughs> and you go, and rhino goes, now the spider man, here I come. And, and Peter's like, oh, oh, no, Mr. Dr. Strange, sir, please give me another, another Spider-Man. And that's how we get Toby. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but Caleb, do you have any predictions beyond the de-aging thing? Yeah, um, I think they won't pull too much from this movie specifically. I think if anything, it would be Sandman, although I agree it's kind of it'd be kind of weird to have him become a villain again. Um, I personally would love to see uh, Topher Grace Venom fight Tom Hardy Venom. I think that'd be hilarious. But Venom into the Venomverse. Yeah, but that's not where we're going to get. <laughs> Uh, you know what I just thought would be cool, even though this won't happen, is 
uh, I think infamously, Riz Ephens, uh had some issues on set with Amazing Spider-Man and a different Sony movie. But what if then they brought in Dylan Baker to finally play the Lizard in the Sinister Six? I would be so happy <laughs> if that happened. I would be too. I'd be like, yes! <laughs> it ha- it's here. I, I don't think that will happen. If but Lizard cool. is in this film, give me the full snout. I, like, I'm tired of this. Give me the full bursting out of the scientist's chest like in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. I was about to say, give yes, me Turn Off the Dark yes. with the Lizard. <laughs> <laughs> with the floppiness and everything. Yes. Oh. Would you rewatch classic. Spider-Man 3? If I had to. I mean, probably whenever I watch this movie with my kids, like, that'll probably be the next time. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. This this one's this one's kind of a if I if I had to, I get or like I watched Fantastic Four, um, like the Chris Evans Human Torch Fantastic Four. I watched that one because I hadn't seen it in a long time, you know, but I think there was quite some time between my two watchings. I think this is a definition of a, I'm stuck in a hotel. I'm flipping channels. Oh, Spider-Man three is on. Sure. I'll leave that on while I'm doing something on my computer. Mm. You know, that's, that's what this is. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, Mr. Caleb. Um, yeah, I'm going to rewatch this. Uh, it is, it's a couple watch for me. <laughs> um, I, I, I genuinely think this movie could go on at any time and I would be happy to watch it. I think I would prioritize the first one, uh, because I did just watch this one yesterday, so um, I think I would prioritize the first one. Um, but I do really like Spider-Man Three. So, well, I will say, remember my remember what the Tyler cut is of Spider-Man, where yeah, Ty, where Tyler falls down. <laughs> Tyler thought he was Spider-Man. So no, Peter Parker gets bit by a spider, and he thinks that he is. He has superpowers, so he jumps off of the building. But he's actually Evan Hansen. But no, but he (laughs) he is a twenty four year old year old man who is chasing down school buses because he thinks he's still. Oh, so he's younger than Ben Platt. Still in high school. That's true. Twenty years younger. He's like twenty years younger. Right. Um. So. so yeah, he's still a twenty four year old man that's going to this high school, but the high school's like, hey, he's still he's paying for it to go here so we'll just keep letting him go i mean it's we support continuing education and so he gets bit by uh by this spider and he thinks oh i have superpowers now i'm spider-man he jumps off of a building and he thinks webs come out but they don't and he falls down and he goes into a coma and all of spider-man one is of him in this coma thinking he is Spider-Man. All of Spider-Man 2 is him in this coma thinking he is still Spider-Man. And then all of Spider-Man 3 up to the moment of when he goes back to the jazz club at the very end and he meets Mary Jane. And Mary Jane's super excited to see him because he finally woke up out of the coma. And then he's going to tell her this big old thing about like, I'm so sorry, Mary Jane. And she's going to be so confused because she's going to be like, what are you talking about? Can we do a uh, like a double casting thing where the doctors uh, who are treating him in the coma are like Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina? Yes. And yes. Topher Grace. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Topher Grace is the intern. Yeah. <laughs> He's, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. JJJ is like the is like a CEO or. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. 
Uh, I will say, I wanted to add one more prediction. Sorry to Spider-Man Three before we move on to our awards, which is that we will definitely, if they're all in it and they have sizable roles. So not what Caleb is saying, like a sizable role. We will get a joke about the organic webbing. It has to happen. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It it will definitely be there. We'll get a joke about the organic webbing. That will be the big Toby joke. Obviously, the big Andrew Garfield joke would be like, so wait, you guys never looked into your parents? Uh, you, <laughs> I don't know if they'll do that. That might be too much of a, a shot at the movie? movies. That might, <laughs> that might be too much of a shot at his own movies compared to the organic webbing one. But <laughs> yeah, but I, the organic webbing one will definitely happen. <laughs> I don't I don't know what they would say to uh, to Andy. But. They could do something about how he's never seen Jay Jonah's face. They've only communicated over email. Yeah. <laughs> what I actually want is a what I actually want is a Toby asking Andrew's like, so were you were you what happened to your Harry? And I just want Andrew to say, isn't that the question of the day? <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, famously is not actually in the Amazing Spider-Man too. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so now we'll do our Wise Awards. Uh, MVP. Uh, so my MVP I chose because he is the one character in this movie who is actually billed this time, might I say. I noticed his name is in the opening credits. Yeah. Who, seeing, is not bad. He has no bad parts of his performance in this, and that's Bruce Campbell. Um, which, this is his best cameo, in my opinion, of these movies. Um, and it's a really good scene. It's actually pretty much the emotional ending to the first half of the movie's arc with Mary Jane and Spider-Man where Mary Jane is rightfully upset. Um, this is, uh, I'll get into this a bit actually more later, rightfully upset that Peter kissed Gwen Stacy on stage and he doesn't care about her play. And Bruce Campbell brings the bit of levity that the scene actually needs. So this is also in a way for the nice little cameos over the trilogy, but also because he's this is his best cameo is Bruce Campbell's my MVP. Mm. And he's the he's the opposite of his past two, where his past two have yeah. been very unhelpful. This guy's he's totally there for Peter. He's on team. Yeah, Peter. he's overly Peter helpful. Becker. Yeah. Peter Becker. <laughs> Parker. It's a Becker. Uh, and the uh, wait, I had to say, though, because I kept saying I was tempted. Runner up goes to Mr. Dikovich. Has to go to Mr. Dikovich, my runner up. <laughs> It's a free country, but it's not a rent-free country. <laughs> he should be the member of the Sinister Six. Oh my god! opens. Have you seen, have you seen all those uh, videos where they replace Thanos with him? I, I, I've seen. I don't know if I've seen that one, but I have seen the one where the portal opens and he just goes rent. <laughs> there's one uh, where they. Where Dormammu has his like, yeah. his lines are replaced by where's my, where's my rent and then uh, Bully McGuire is walking up and he's like you'll get your rent when you fix this damn door and it's the Dormammu I've come to bargain scene yeah oh, that's um, great. I think that was my my Bully McGuire introduction but uh, we need Bully McGuire in the MCU permanently oh my goodness that will be his name Bully McGuire yes. <laughs> so Stan, my, uh, my MVP goes to the Stanley cameo, um, which I think is my favorite of all the Stanley cameos in the Marvel movies. Um, and he says to Spider-Man, he goes, I guess one person can make a difference. And here 
like he summed up in one sentence the point of Spider-Man. All summed up in one line. One person can make a difference, even though you're just the neighborhood friendly Spider-Man. You're not necessarily part of a big, you know, Avengers team or Fantastic Four. You know, it's one guy on the streets helping out everyone around the town uh, city like one person can make a difference. And I, yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, it's a line that Peter Peter ignore ignores. But but yeah, I, I would agree to a point where I would say this is definitely his best live action cameo. And similarly, his cameo in Spider-Man also Spider-Verse sums up Spider-Man, not in one line, but. All right, uh, Mr. Caleb, what's your MVP? My MVP is a little weird uh, and is three people, although technically they are one team. And that's Kathy Driscoll, uh, Francine Maisler, and Mike Stiles. The first of two cast all of the um, Raimi movies, and Mike Stiles came on to cast this one. I think the casting in these movies is impeccable. I don't think there is a miscast role in the lot. Um, and I just wanted to shout out these three people because along with Sam Raimi, they um, made what is for me a lot of the definitive versions of these characters. Yeah, that's yeah, very true. Um, all right. Favorite scene. Uh, we talked about it already, so I'll just say it. Uh, the Harry versus Peter fight. Uh, the very first one, not the second one. I think the first one's great. The glider action's phenomenal. The fact that Peter's not wearing his costume also makes the fight pretty thrilling to watch, too. In a way, the ring juggling is fun. It's it's a great set piece. Ask me on a certain day. I might even say it's better than the train one and two. Mm. I might. Big might. Big might. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I could. It's the, definitely up there. The funky CG CGI is what got me on the. Well, but that's because he's that not one. wearing the suit. If he was wearing the suit, it would look fine, in my opinion. Yeah. Unless you're talking about the glider. The glider is kind of if you have points. But yeah, also, that's like, what I was talking about. Here's here's the thing. Here's and I'll say this. This is about in all three of these movies is that the action might look a little iffy CGI wise. But the thing is, is that like I will gladly take the iffy CGI for the crazy camera tricks they're able to do with Mm -hmm. it. And I will say adding Um, and how kinetic it looks, adding the engagement ring in there just adds it ups the the level of intensity for that fight. Yeah, too. It adds a whole layer to it. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you think the movie kind of um, spoils itself too early by having this be such a good fight? No, because the thing is, I think the end stuff where they team up is really good. I think the Sandman fight, uh, not the one uh, that we're going to talk about very soon. Uh, the I think the Sandman fight in the sewer is really good. I think the black suit is cool. And I think, as you said earlier, the fight of them that's really brutal when Peter's wearing the black suit between Harry and him. It's really good, too. Um, I also think it's good to have this fight scene here because it really isn't a big action set piece for another half hour Mm -hmm. after it. So, yeah. But Mr. Mr. Tyler. Uh, For me, my favorite scene was the Spidey and Sandman fight in the cash delivery truck, which was the first. It's the first occasion that Spidey and Sandman meet in this film. Um, is reminiscent of better Raimi Spidey films. Um, I'm thinking of especially the action where um, Sandman starts filling up the front of the 
he fills up the cab of the truck with sand like an hourglass and then spidey has to stop the truck from you know careening out into obstacles and he also he saves the the guards he pulls them out tosses them back and then shoots spider webs out and just the way that uh that scene is shot and just how the action is all just very fast paced and on it's it's very quick thinking for for spidey and it's also like it's like dang this guy had his hand you know he had his hands full um Mm -hmm. and it it really yeah it's it's uh i really really liked it and it's very reminiscent of uh some stuff in spidey 2 um and uh it's also at the very end i like that the truck rolls over and then sandman escapes and spidey jumps out of the truck he's like ready to fight but no one's around him and he's like what the heck just happened you know because he's it's kind of like i've got my hands full because i'm used to fighting like with doc ock he had yeah sure he was fighting a man with this violent AI, um, but he had one physical object that he was fighting. You know, same thing with Green Goblin. Um, whereas now he's got this guy that can shapeshift, um, essentially. Um, so yeah, it's it really sets the tone, and then the film kind of forgets about about Sandman for a little bit, and. Uh, but uh but yeah i thought that it was wait a, wait but you forgot one of the best parts of it which is the dumb gag afterwards where peter like is trying to empty the sand from his boot i like and it just keeps on going it's good it's a it good is, gag i'm it saying it's dumb it's dumb funny like yeah. good dumb funny yeah and i and i like it because it's it's very it's like i talked last week about my favorite scene with spidey 2 being or two weeks ago uh with spidey 2 being the bank scene where spider spider-man's got the quips coming out you know and this is just it's it's another one where it's like even though he's like yeah i just got the crap beat out of me and now i'm getting sand out of you know out of my boots and stuff and really like i love the line where do these guys where do these guys come from and i i just i just imagine that when the board of directors at sony read this line in the pitch in the pitch meeting and they were like oh this is so funny oh like i don't know i just like it i I love that i don't know it's yeah i I just love it anyways so uh what about what about you what's your favorite scene caleb um we've talked about it a little bit but the black suit montage specifically starting with him saying i'm gonna put some dirt in your eye and then yeah um yeah, him montaging down the street. It's such a thesis <laughs> statement for this film, like Danny's been talking about. It is Sam Raimi forcing himself into a studio-mandated um, character and plot point. And I think that's mm-hmm. what makes it so special. And I also I think that the black suit stuff just really makes sense as a thematic element of Peter's story. Um, because it is him with more power than he has ever had and less like taking his responsibility less seriously than he's ever had. And I feel like the Mm. montage does a really good job of showing that. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially yeah. when he's on the phone with uh, Doc Connors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Put nuts he's... in the cookies. Give me some milk. Yeah. Any, what were you saying? Where are the nuts? So I was looking up to see if there's a Spider-Man 3.1. There's not. <laughs> there's uh, not. Um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, what's the next one? It's, it's the uh, worst, worst scene. Okay. I said we were going to get back to it. The worst scene and the worst aspect of this movie, which I have not brought up for reasons because I knew I was going to talk about it here, is the retcon of Flint Marco being Uncle Ben's murderer. Totally, totally unnecessary for this movie. Yep. I get why it's here. Because probably, probably a studio head, maybe Raimi, knowing what worked with Doc Ock and with uh, Green Goblin. It's like, we have to give a personal connection to Peter for the Sandman. It can't just be this guy with sand powers that Spider-Man has to stop. I argue that in a better version of this movie, James Franco, excuse me, Harry, not James Franco, we don't like him. Harry, we'll allow it. Uh, Harry, <laughs> he has a personal connection with Harry already. I don't think Sandman needs to have a big personal connection to Spider-Man. For him to work in this, he can just be the heavy. It's kind of like what I was pitching earlier with the Scorpion. If there was in a Spider-Man movie, Scorpion does not need a personal connection to Spider-Man because um, JJJ already would have that personal connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can put Sam in this movie, get all the stuff you want, and not have that in there. It really devalues the first movie and the, the entire sequence. Uh, you know where he cuts down his killer, Uncle Ben's killer. Which, let me just say, if his name is always referred to as Uncle Ben's Killer, and you tell me he's not Uncle Ben's Killer, I'm not going to stop calling him Uncle Ben's Killer. That is the character name. <laughs> that is... Uh, and it's been that way for two movies. Carjacker yeah. in this one, isn't he? I think he is, yeah, in this one, Carjacker. But I'm still going to call him Uncle Ben's Killer, because that's just who he is, you know? Um, but yeah, it's silly, it's stupid... It's totally unnecessary. It also it just it also just like it frames Peter Parker as just a straight up killer because he hunted down this guy that he thought killed Uncle Ben and in the first film. And then he and then in this one, he hunts the guy down and puts his face into a train and tries just to drown him. wait till two weeks from now, by the way. Just, oh, goodness. Just oh, my two goodness. Weeks from now. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, yeah. And then, and then he's like smiling when he tells Aunt May Spider-Man killed him. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that it's weird to me that this movie, because of this, chooses to codify in dialogue that Spider-Man's like, oh, I didn't kill him. I, I, he just fell. I told you that already. It's really weird for me to hear a superhero movie acknowledge the, oh, the fall killed him thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's something that's left unsaid and people are okay with. That, I think uh, that's like, where Peter's like, at in that scene, though. Sure, but to, to me, it's something where, like, I don't need to, like... It's a movie like I yes he's probably talking about this with Mary Jane, but like I don't I don't know I, I don't want to hear that it's not it's not it's not for me to hear. It's like <laughs> it's Iron not. Man. It's like it's like if Tony Stark would have told uh like if Pepper would have brought up hey remember back in two thousand eight nine ten whichever MCU 
timeline you want to follow. Uh, remember whenever you uh, shot your old boss or you had me blast your old boss with an arc reactor and he fell like he fell down into it. Remember when you killed him with that? And then Tony Stark being like, being like, no, listen, it was a suit in an accident. It was an accident with him in the suit and he fell. He fell into the arc reactor. OK, like, yeah, yeah, very very similar but my worst scene is spidey's kiss with gwen stacy um it added another complexity to the troubled peter and mj relationship that was severely unneeded given the runtime of this film um given how much time is the camera spends on their relationship um we don't really like Adding another complexity to that isn't necessarily needed. We already know that, like, Peter is heavily narcissistic in this film. And MJ is struggling with her career. And also, she's not feeling just, uh, she's not feeling validated in her relationship with Peter. We already know that troubles are, you know, troubles are already there that we need, that you can build on and, uh, that already serve enough to be that divide between the two that we don't necessarily need this to be the nail in the coffin. You know, the nail in the coffin can already be that when they're having conversation that Peter Parker, like Spider-Man will always come before Mary Jane, you know, that mm -hmm. that can be the nail in the coffin. Um, very similar to like what. And I'm not saying that Pepper and Tony Stark's relationship is is executed better but uh continuously in in those films um you know, pepper's like when are you not in a suit you know when are you not when do you not have your tech with you you know like when are you gonna put that down but i feel like that'd be a bit of a retread of two though i feel like that'd be a bit of a retread of two personally because she embraces like him being spider-man or what do you yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. Well, it's not just him being Spider-Man that's the issue. The issue is yeah. that he's not paying attention to her at all. And whenever right. she tries yeah. to open up. I I don't actually have an issue with the kiss. Um I get what you're saying, like it adds on a new let's be clear, like I don't think Gwen St I think we all agree Gwen Stacy's probably the most cuttable character from this film. Um besides like if you want to say Venom at the end, like is cuttable. Um, Danny, I don't think you can say that because Caleb made a valid point. What if we get this Gwen Stacy in No Way Home? <laughs> <laughs> then you she's can't cut her. Um, she's too okay, but okay, sure, but also let's be real. We know she's not in this movie because she's shooting Jurassic World two at the same time, <laughs> Jurassic World three at the same time, Jurassic World this. eight, which also means that yeah. uh, unfortunately the Grandmaster and actor Odin will not be in. <laughs> Uh, or Star-Lord will not be in Spider-Man No Way Home. None of those characters will be in Spider-Man No Way Home. Wait, is Anthony Hopkins in Jurassic World Actor. Actor Odin from oh. Thor Ragnarok. Okay. Oh, actor Odin. <laughs> very, okay, okay. Actor, oh, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> very, very key difference there. Uh, but yeah. Wait, Sam Neill is in... Did you say Sam Neill is in... Everyone's back for the new Jurassic Thor World. Thor Ragnarok? Yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's, Thor, he's the actor Odin. Him and Taika worked on a movie together before this. Oh. Yeah, he's seen him for the world of people, yeah. 
I, oh my I, goodness. I say that like he's seen it because I, I showed it to him. Wow. <laughs> okay, then. Yeah. Caleb, what's your worst scene? Uh, my worst scene is a very short one, um, but in the kind of as they intro the third act, you see the silhouette of Sandman, and then you hear a very poorly oh. dubbed ADR line where he goes, I don't like Spider-Man, and then he punches Venom all in silhouette. Then it cuts to Venom going, I don't either. Let's team up and kill him. And it's... <laughs> it's such it's like oh boy we have these two threads that do not fit together let's just dump all the super glue and try to make it work <laughs> just like that because the line is the line is literally i don't like spider-man that's what makes it so bad <laughs> the the this after you like, almost died i don't like him <laughs> these these lines here are the exact foundation foundation of the sinister six i don't like spider-man neither do i like yeah, <laughs> i hope on the foe says that line five separate times in no way <laughs> No, they have to. Man, imagine as, if Tom Hardy says "Neither do I." Wouldn't that be great? Like, "Neither do we." Yeah, neither, neither, neither do we. we. That's the, yeah. That's the trailer line for the next trailer. <laughs> yeah, like I, I'll be honest, we don't need to tease the alternate, the other Spider-Man thing in the movie. Just say Venom's in it. Everyone be like, "Ah, Venom!" Maybe that's what Vulture is doing in the Morbius trailers. Is he's he's talking to someone off screen? He's like, "I don't like Spider-Man." And then someone else is like, neither do I. We can get it there. So uh, get two separate Sinister Six teams. Yes. Cohen. And then they both they both arrive to uh, at the like same universe of the same the like of the same Spider-Man. And the they're Nexus. like, they're like, we want to kill Spider-Man. And then the other team's like, but we're here to kill Spider-Man. And then they fight each other, and Spider-Man's all good. And Andrew Garfield just gets in the middle. Hang on, guys. There's enough of me to go around. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will gladly work for this. So there actually oh was a recent Spider-Man story called Sinister War, which is Doc Ox makes a Sinister Six, and Vulture makes a Sinister Six. Yes. And they, <laughs> like, they butt heads. Oh, great. That is too good. How good would that be? This is the SSU, formerly known as Spunk, Sinister Six. And then here's the MCU, Sinister Six. Yeah. It just turns into a prolonged copyright battle over who gets to use the name Sinister <laughs> Six. Yes. <laughs> um, All right. What is the best moment of the movie? I think the best the best moment for me is Flint Marco the morning after he has become Sandman. And it's when he's reaching for his daughter's locket and it's so close yet he can't grasp the locket, you know, um, uh, because this is just after he got his uh, sand mutation and uh, mutation asterisk because it's not really mutation. But um, yeah, so it's it's like it's this is the one thing that he's he wants his he he wants that relationship with his daughter and he returns back uh at the beginning of the film he returns to the to the to his house and his wife is like no look you're a wanted man get out of the house and the daughter's like i just want to be with you and he's like yeah and i you know and i want to be with you i miss you and 
throughout this whole thing he can't you know can't be with her and this this is what he's what he's wanting and and he just can't he can't have it and the moment is it's poetic it's moving and it really captures the conflict of this character uh the music is great at this time too it's it's just too bad that other scenes with this character um weren't the greatest they were uh, poorly executed yeah mm-hmm. yeah that was very close to being a best moment for me is when he's mm. first waking up and then what about you danny well i'll just say um i wanted to say what you were saying uh in the sense that sorry i was looking uh, i'll be honest i just looked up to see if this was nominated for the oscar and it wasn't which i'm very surprised by because the sandman effects are really great mm. like in and of it's like that of that should be nominated just for the same man effects. Yeah. Uh, if I remember, this is the year the golden compass one over transformers, which is really funny to me. Cause like the transformer movies are not great, but the first movie was like a visual, like, Whoa type of thing. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, and especially for this same year that this came out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say the, I was kind of surprised none of us picked birth of the Sandman for our best scene. I almost, uh, I almost really did. Yeah, I almost did. Yeah, it's really a great scene. Uh, my best moment, I've mentioned it already, is when the hype moment of Harry coming into the final fight. Even if I don't think his arc is fully concluded, it's a great moment. Really, just a great moment. Mm. That's. I don't have much more to say about it. I talked about it earlier. Yeah. So. And then Caleb. All right. So, at the end, during the final fight, the news anchor. A guy named Hal Fishman, real-life news anchor, uh, mm-hmm. a Los Angeles news anchor who actually tragically died not long after this film was released. He died in August of 2007 um, and had his final broadcast that June. Um, he's he's become kind of like a running joke between me and my friends about this movie because when we saw it as a kid, we thought Fishman was a hilarious last name, and then we realized he's a... He's a real person. But now every time Hal Fishman comes on, I cheer because he's he does sell these extremely stupid trailer lines. Like, could this mm-hmm. be the this end, could of be the end of Spider-Man? So it's just really fun to see him in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. He's 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 a good one. I, he's, I, he's fun. I think that that whole like. He really pulls pulls it together, but that whole like news coverage of just randomly like we're in the third act now, um, <laughs> and it's just this news coverage. And yeah, he he really pulls that pulls it together. Uh, All right, most disappointing aspect um, for me it was Peter Parker. He felt like a totally different character than we've had in uh, Spider Man or Spider Man Two. Um, he's overly optimistic, which to me wasn't realistic to this Peter Parker. Um, and it's the de- it's a development that we do not see nor are given an exposition. We've as the audience, we have to make that assumption that he is overly optimistic because of uh, we had talked about it earlier of like. Uh, the girl that he's had a crush on for so long that uh, he cried over in the first grade um, that she she left her fiance for him and Spider-Man like everything's going great in the city and he's he gets to be Spider-Man. He's showing up to class on time. 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like it's shown there, but we have we're forced to make that assumption rather than, um, you know, just uh, just just a little bit of exposition to to tell us there. Um, he's extremely and to me, he's extremely annoying and nuanced. He's narcissistic and he's irresponsible, which seems like someone totally forgot Uncle Ben's famous words. With great power comes great responsibility. Um, I texted Danny this earlier today. I totally agree with uh, Harry uh, Osborne in the movie theater when Harry Osborne is like looking down at Peter Parker and Peter's like smiling like a doofus and like reciting all of this Toby. All of the lines. Sorry, go on. <laughs> He's reciting all of the lines, and uh, and yeah, Peter's reciting all of the lines for this play, and Harry like looks down at him, and I and I was like, yeah, I agree with Harry. I'd want to punch him in the face too, like, or the the guy sitting next to him, where he's like, that's my girlfriend. And I would just be like, dude, shut up. Like, I've always read it. Those are the critics. Like, I'm, that's how I've read this scene. Like, he's sitting next to the two critics. They're going to give it a bad grade. Yeah. It's always how they I'm look, They scene. look like either they're critics or they look like they've um, they've been uh, gifted these tickets like they work at an office and they're like higher, you know, higher up on the pay scale. And like the managers or something or like CEOs or something and that they that they were gifted these tickets to see this thing. And they're not necessarily it's more like I was gifted this ticket. So I'm going to go see this musical, but I'm not I'm not actually like here for this where Peter's just like, that's my girlfriend. And and it's like, shut up, shut up, guy. But uh, no, guys, this is very important. I need to read to you very quickly before I give you my answer what Teen Choice Movie Awards this was nominated for. <laughs> oh my. Because <laughs> the reason I looked it up is because I was looking at the nominations again and I did notice it was nominated for Best Dance. For this Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish. Uh, uh, it was nominated for Choice Action Film and lost to Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Uh, Toby was nominated for Best Action Actor. He lost to Johnny Depp for Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Kirsten Dunst lost to Keira Knightley for Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, movie villain Topher Grace was nominated for. <laughs> lost to Davy Jones, Pirates of the Caribbean. Very fair, I think. Yeah. Obviously a better villain. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I want to say not nominated here, but I think this is a little little dicey. The winner of best movie chemistry that year was Will Smith and Jaden Smith. I feel like that's not fair. They 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 clearly are father and son in real life. Of course, they have good chemistry. Uh, Toby and Kirsten lost to Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley for best lip lock. And l- let's be real, the kiss in Pirates of the Caribbean three is great. Yeah. That is a great movie kiss. Like yeah, yeah. totally deserved. When do they kiss in this? I mean, I guess at the end. Yeah, I don't even remember them kissing. You're right. Yeah. Um, the Lost Movie Rumble, which was Orlando Bloom versus the entire Flying Dutchman crew and Pirates to movie uh, third act. Uh, before I say what else was nominated for dance, what one dance, uh, I want to just point out that best movie screen went to Steve Carell for Evan Almighty. 
So it was that type of year. Yeah. And uh, Ian Gruffold was nominated for Movie Dance as well for his dance in Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Uh, <laughs> huh. Uh, and they lost to Channing Tatum for Step Up. Um, Which, but anyway. I mean, like, Channing Tatum was just. Channing Tatum's like the greatest dancer. Yeah, I was like, he was pulling. Yeah, he yeah, was like, pulling. From uh, past past career. Anyway, now that I've wasted your time on the Teen Choice Awards, I will go give you my most disappointing aspect really quick. Uh, this watch, it was that the first act was building to something I felt like that actually was decent, but then it fell apart under its own weight. However, if I had to actually pick something disappointing, I would say that the worst scene. I would go back to my worst scene and say that Sandman has to have an emotional connection to Peter. That's disappointing because it really isn't needed. Yeah, I kind of bouncing off what you were saying, Danny. I feel like there is a lot of great individual parts in this and a lot of good setup. Um, and they don't necessarily uh, connect that well. So just a general lack of cohesion is my biggest disappointment here because I like Sandman. I like uh, Harry. I like the relationship drama as it's set up. I like a lot of this stuff, but... Bringing it together is always where the movie kind of struggles. Yeah. Agreed. What's the best surprise? So, to me, when you're a kid and you're a teenager, and we kind of talk about this when we talk about Spider-Man 2, in that I always defended Spider-Man 2 from this. Uh, And last watch, I didn't agree anymore. But this time, I want to defend MJ here. Because you watch the movie growing up, and you think MJ's a terrible person to Spider-Man. Because it's like, that's Spider-Man. Of course he has to do all this stuff. Uh, however, today, watching this, it's clear that she's really the only rational character yeah. in the film. Uh, she, she's the only person who is like, she's constantly trying to tell Peter about her problems. And like, not like in an annoying way, just to like, I want to update you on my life. Peter's like, oh, just think about how Spider-Man would handle it. No, that's not, that's not how you... It's not how you're a partner. You don't just go like, well, think about how I would do it. Nope, that's not how this works. Uh, and I think the kiss scene, like, as we said, I think Gwen Stacy can come from the movie. But I think her reaction is totally valid. It is her kiss. And even if it was, even if you, you don't want to be like, you, you, as a kid, you're like, you can't claim possession over a kiss. Well, one, you can. Like, that's the thing. Couples can claim something as their thing. But moreover, like, she, doesn't matter if it's good or not. She's st- still kissing another girl. Oh, Spider-Man kissed her. Nope, nope. That's not how it works, Peter. Nope. Uh, I think MJ... Spider-Man should listen to the kid who is there. Based kid trying to get him to stop. <laughs> yeah, the kid yeah. was great. Uh, yeah. No, Spider-Man, don't do it! No! Uh, <laughs> uh, and also the thing is, like, the reason I want to say, like, she's not only rational, like, she's a good character. It's her reaction how Peter treats her in the dancing is actually like extremely restrained for her it's very mature of her to act the way she does in my opinion she stays strong and I actually really that's the best Gwen Stacy moment of the movie is like when she apologizes to MJ for being in the movie basically she's like I'm sorry I was in the movie uh, but yeah Kirsten Dunst is very close to being my MVP here um, I think MJ being good in this movie surprised me gotcha Gotcha. And now Tyler's, Tyler's going to throw that opinion out to say something else about MJ. Oh, oh well, it's more. It's not necessarily about MJ as a person, um, because as a person, like you talked about her as a person, and I'm not going to attack that. I'm going to attack something far more objective, which is 
her performance on Broadway. And the best surprise to me is Broadway finally came to their senses regarding Mary Jane and her lackluster performance. Pretty sure this film further supports my Spider-Man 2 theory about the Jamesons financially backing Miss Watson's rise to fame on the Great White Way. What always throws me off about this is that she's singing um, a song from Annie Get Your Gun, but it's at the beginning of a musical. So she's not in Annie Get Your Gun because that's not where it is in the musical. She's but, It's like called yeah. Broadway Dreams or Manhattan Memories or something like that. So I assume it's a jukebox show. But it's won two Tonys. How does something that's just recycling like Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff win Tonys? I know nothing about the Tonys, uh, Danny. You can laugh that, at me. That is, uh, uh, yeah, that's not, uh, I don't know if you realize this. Uh, I'm going to respond not by talking about musical, but about a movie. Uh, Singing in the Rain is a jukebox musical that just reuses songs from that composer and that was used in previous movie musicals. So, and that's considered the greatest movie musical of all time. Yeah, but that's Erica, like, quite a few that was a more common that. thing back then. And jukebox musicals, these exist. These, these, these are things. I, yeah, I guess. Like, but like when I think of jukebox musicals, I think of like Moulin Rouge, which recycles like pop songs. It only feels weird to me in that this happened. In 2007, it's apparently really popular. Premiered in 2005, but then of course I go back to the thing where I really view these Raimi movies as like they're being written with a 60s Spider-Man attitude. So to me, it's just like yeah, in the 60s, this could have been a big deal on Broadway. Sure, whatever. I don't know. I can't be mad at the musical, uh, but Tyler's right. <laughs> I will. Uh, we'll get a nice little sound clip of that and I'll just play that back anytime Danny disagrees with me on the podcast I'll just play Tyler's right Tyler's right yeah no (laughs) (laughs) yes Uh, what was your best surprise my best surprise was while Venom did not improve at all this time around I did enjoy Topher Grace more than I thought I would um, he's always been kind Robert of. Grace is a great actor. Yeah, he he has a weird charisma to him. Um, even when he played David Duke, of course. <laughs> even when he is in the uh, in the church and he's praying for God to kill Spider Man, I really like how he's delivering those lines. I don't think that scene makes sense, but I think that <laughs> I just, Topher Grace I just... is always selling these scenes. Uh, I really want to watch his uh, new show. Actually, I need to get around to it because it's uh, he's the lead, but Jimmy Tatro's in it, and Jimmy Tatro is one of my favorite working actors. I believe he he should be a big character actor. No one listening to me knows who Jimmy Tatro is, but it's okay. Speaking of Topher Grace, Danny, what are you most excited to see more of? This is where I'll finally say it. Tobey Maguire, <laughs> not Tobey Grace. Uh, I had moments watching this movie when we were reaching the ending where I got a little sad, all things considered, that this was the end of Toby Spider-Man. Uh, it just, you know, it's such a big part of my childhood that even with this flawed ending, uh, I can really put on the beginnings of these movies every time. Like, just load up on YouTube, like, the opening logos of these movies and always get hyped. Um... And, you know, I mentioned this earlier. I want the love theme back in Spider-Man. No Way Home if possible. I want the Elfman theme back, definitely. Uh, But 
Uh, ultimately, I, I mean, just really want Spider-Man can, can 4 or just, a Mayday movie. Can you just imagine that uh, Tom, Spidey, Tom Spidey is in trouble and then a portal, uh, Doctor Strange portal opens and all of a sudden we hear the Elfman theme start to play as... And Toby they all look Spidey, awe Toby Spidey you. walks out. Yes, he walks out, and then he's like, "Doc Ock, put him down," or whatever. Yeah. See, you need like you need like a slow reveal so that you can get the full. So it's gonna be it's gonna be the slow portal. It's gonna be the portal. Like it needs to be everyone. No, 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 no. It needs to be everyone reacting to it. Yeah. It needs to be like Wonk staring. It needs to be Doctor Strange. We need. It needs to be like that scene in Clive with Chance Meatballs, where it like is an overlong montage of people staring, and that's what you hear. And then when finally Peter appears here, you get the. Like you need, it needs to be a big reveal. with the chances, Spider-Man. And so everyone in the audience, when they're hearing the music, they start whispering, like, "Is it happening? Is it happening?" And it's like, it will be like uh, when I saw. <laughs> I think I've shared this story before, but it never gets old to me. When I saw The Dark Knight Rises, and it was just me and my family, and then there was one guy there, and we got the Man of Steel trailer beforehand, and he just started whispering, "Superman." Superman? Is it Superman? Is it Superman? <laughs> and then, like, at the end of the teaser, like, he Superman does this sonic boom, and you see the S on his chest. Yeah. And the guy in front of me just went, Superman! Superman! <laughs> it needs to be like that for the whole theater when Toby shows up. <laughs> uh, he, yeah, I just, I just imagine, like, if we get a moment like that, that, uh... Like that's that's the it moment with audience. It will beat on cheering. my left for me. It will beat Avengers some for me. Toby, if Toby gets a, such a huge return, yeah, I will explode. Or so I'm getting ready to explode. Or already. our other Toby coming in is it's just a cameo, and Tom and uh, Matt Murdock <laughs> are walking down the street and they're discussing legal ways to uh, address um, his identity as Spider Man. And uh, and then we just get Toby walking by doing his uh, black suit dance. Get on up, yeah. He's, and he's just, I, I like just dancing. Yeah, I like the idea of. Um, wait, I just imagined the cameo of Caleb. When Caleb said how he expected it to be. Like he just shows up at the end briefly, and you don't see his face. And they're like, they're like, can we see your face? And he's like, you hear Toby go, yeah, sure. And you just get a shot from behind. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's like a it's like a Halo Master Chief, yeah. Um, okay, so and they go, wow. I'm most excited to see more of Toby Spidey as a mentor to Tom Spidey. Um, this film had a lot of Toby Spidey hiccups that can be lessons taught to Tom Spidey. And then uh, keep saying Tom Spidey. I'm like Tom Hardy. To Tom Hardy. <laughs> um, so, you know, I had a black suit once. <laughs> oh my. Uh, what about you, Caleb? I, like I've already said, I don't think Toby will be a major player in No Way Home. But Do you think his head will be out of frame? I think I think he's going to take <laughs> off the mask and there's going to be another mask underneath. Um, <laughs> but if he does show up, I will be very happy. And I will be, because I'll probably see this movie with my dad, I will be even happier because I know he'll be happy because he likes Toby Spidey. And I'll be happy at all the kids who will be like, who's that? And then they'll, their parents have to show them 
the best one of the best superhero movies ever, Spider Man. Um, and then a pretty good superhero the movie, Spider Man Three. <laughs> yes, and then <laughs> that's the real. When is Reeve Carney gonna get announced for No Way Home? That's the real question. Well, the, let's be real. Where? Why isn't he announced yet for Spider Verse Two? If he's not in Spider Verse Two, I'm gonna that 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 will be where I'm like, all right, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I guess you don't know what you're doing. Guys, <laughs> I guess you are fake Reeve, fans. Reeve Carney should be in the Hawkeye show. Because of Rogers yeah, the musical, we, so yeah, yeah. I hope Rogers the musical is just a jukebox musical. Of Rogers and Hammerstein songs. Patrick Page <laughs> as Red Skull would be pretty great. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, I want. Uh, what, do I, what do I want? No, I, well, I pitched on the show before. I want Patrick Page to be Agent Coulson, uh, and Reeve Carney to be Loki, and then to have an encounter that way. That'd be pretty good too. Uh, uh but. I was gonna say something. I don't know. It doesn't matter really. The moment's gone. Uh, getting to know you. Re- oh wait, wait. wait. It's just Reef Carney's gonna be in House of Gucci. That's it. Getting to know you yeah, from the King and I. And I yeah. That, that should be in Rogers the Musical. Getting to know you from the King and I. That needs to be like when the whole team comes together, like as the Avengers. And oh, uh, just. All right. So we have to do that now. That's uh. That's our next thing is we have to create the what the soundtrack would be we, for that. We went severely over time, so yeah, we're going we to let Caleb pimp his stuff. Guys, thank you very much for having me on these past two weeks. It's been an absolute blast. Um, and if y'all listening to this want to hear me talk about Spider-Man some more, then you can listen to um, the latest episode of my comics podcast all new 52 where me and my co-host joe talk about the third year of ultimate spider-man which is the arc with venom in it so very appropriate for knock knock this one yeah knock knock let the devil in um and you can also check me out on uh the podcast i co-host with danny and our friend sarah knoff the snub club where each week we look at a movie that was nominated for a lot of oscars but didn't win anything we are in the 1940s and They usually now. don't have Bette Midler in it. They, so far, none of them, <laughs> despite my best attempts, have had Bette Midler in them. Um, but we're in the 40s now, so I'm so excited that we're out of the godforsaken 30s. We're professional now. We sound very professional now. Yeah, we, have a, we have a theme song and everything. Next next week, you'll hear us um, break down Eternals. Yeah. So be excited for that. Make sure you watch the movie. Not, or, or you'll get all the spoilers. <laughs> yep. Um. All right, so we're gonna be here for five hours breaking down every single character, frame by frame. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Why Is with Ty and Dan. We can be found on various podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, and we are also on our website, Why Is with Ty Dan you can also contact us by email at wisewithtydan at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at wisewithtyan1 because I'm number one. You can follow me, Danny Vincent, on Letterboxd at Blankments for reviews of movies, including those not in the MCU, the SSU, or Spunk. We'd also like to thank Joe Schirmer for editing this episode. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Now, I know that it seems like our Spider-Man love springs eternal, but next week it will... S- Spring Eternals. We will catch you then. Ayo. Thanks again, Caleb. Thank you guys for having me. Bye. Yep, thanks for coming on. Catch you in the next one.